One of these days I'm gonna sit down and talk to Paul One of these days I'm gonna sit down and talk to Paul I'm gonna ask him about his traveling And he will tell me about it all One of these days I'm gonna sit down and talk to Paul I'm gonna tell him I read all his books I'm gonna tell him I read all his books And that it sure was hard to follow Down the same road that he took But I'm gonna tell him I read all his books Welcome to Tales from the East End episode 204. I'm Carl Riley, and I'm not joined by Gary Parson today. He's at a wedding in Spain for the whole week. So I've had to do something that I haven't done in three years. I had to go out and find a special guest host. So who do I choose? It's none other than the Killinaridan kid, Mr. Positivity himself. It's Ua Paul McGrath. Welcome. How are you, Carl? Thanks very much for having me on the, on the show. Uh, I think we've only been waiting about f- five years for this for this invitation. So <laughs> waiting by the phone, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I say Kilinarden because you're originally from there, but we're actually recording in City West here. You've invited me into your humble abode. So how long have you been here? Uh, I've been here roughly three years since since April. Um, obviously lived at home for a long time, and then bought a house with the missus then three years ago. And you got your Robbers Away job yesterday, also known as the COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah, so struggling a bit in the dentist this morning, vaccine done yesterday, so... Uh, but we show business, the show must go on. Weren't you supposed to get a tattoo as well today? It's tomorrow. So you, you are getting it? Yeah, yeah, tomorrow, 6 uh, o'clock, so... And what is the tattoo? Just looking to get the crest on the on the calf. A lot of people have it, but just mm. looking to get similar, yeah. Would you prefer the crest or the, the, the football was, loves I, this one? Yeah, I've seen that one. I've seen the one with the ball and the shamrock. Obviously, the inside of the crest, but uh, I just decided to go for the crest for the moment. So. And did you also stop by the Stony Batter Festival? Uh, didn't see the poster? No. We were slagging it in the, in, the, in the WhatsApp group. Which one's this? The other balls thing, the Stony Batter Festival. It was, like, it was all this stupid stuff, poetry, beehive painting. Oh yeah, no, that's, <laughs> I'm the last person that's going to go there, as you know, yeah, I'm not a fan of hipsters, so. Yeah, so just to explain how this came about, um, I thought long and hard about who I wanted to be my, my uh, special co-host today, and like I said, it's been three years, it's a short list of people who have done this, uh, Barney, uh, the Cairns brothers, Jim Toner, Owen Rice. And uh, it's a big deal, obviously, Paul, you know, asking someone to co-host uh, Tifties. I'm sure it's a lot of Rowers fans' dreams. It's like getting the call for like an Oscar nomination or something. And called up to the national team uh, or That's something, what most people yeah. like, yeah. So, thought long and hard about it. I made my decision and I sent out the text to Paul on the Sunday evening. And uh, I waited by my phone. About an hour or two later, got the reply. And the reply said... Sorry, mate, who's this? Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to explain? Yeah, this? so uh, I'm sure people have seen it on social media. I was on, I was at the Jerry Cinnamon gig in Malahoy Castle on Sunday, so it was an early start. Um, I think there was 50, 50 rovers on a bus. We headed out from the Aberdeen, I think it was about 4 <coughs> o'clock we got the bus out. Uh, so I think by about half six when I arrived, or about half six, 
uh, then I was I was well on, full of full of alcohol. So uh, my missus only said to me yesterday. I woke up yesterday and you texted me again to confirm whether we were going ahead with it. <laughs> and uh, I, I still had no recollection of that getting that message in Malahoy Castle. So apparently I'd said it to her the night before and or at the gig and we were discussing it and we actually thought it was someone who was asked me to be their best man. I had no idea who Carl was <laughs> and I was I was that bad that I was very unsure who, uh, where the message came from. So my my initial reaction was: Has this fucker still not saved my number in his phone? Believe it or not, I haven't. Oh no, I must have. That must have been only recently. No, I haven't. There you go. The amount so. of times you've confused me with Carl Cairns in that group. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just a, an effort of going and saving everybody's number. <laughs> a few people save, but not a lot. So how was Jerry? It was brilliant, yeah. It was good. It was great to be there with uh, plenty of hoops and, and hoop bets, really, I would say that still, yeah. Yeah. You, ins- think, you insist on saying Yeah, I think, well, to be honest with you, I never said it until I realised they didn't like it. And, <laughs> and I think now's the time to use it, so. Uh, but yeah, there was a good gang of us, there was 50 out of us, so plenty of, plenty of uh, familiar faces out there. So on this week's show, we have an interview with former defender Richie Byrne, so you're going to hear an interview with him uh, later on. And of course, as always, we are sponsored by Ocean Electrical and Leinster Credit. And Leinster Credit, buddy, they've got your back. So last week's show was the Father's Day Tiffy's hotline. So a couple of bits of feedback there. Giggsy Hand said, "Cracking podcast. Harry's a natural. Uh, young Harry was great, wasn't he?" On the yeah, he's really good. Yeah, he's really good. Uh, Con Murphy said, "Another excellent show. It's funny. Before you said Harry would be the next prof, I was thinking Harry would be the new Con when I hang up the microphone. What a great articulate young fella. Another fantastic idea for an item on the show. Super. Listen." So nice words from Con as usual, and Carl Kearns, just three times I mentioned him on the show already. But uh, at the Dundalk match, Bucket was talking to him because uh, Bucket and his dad were were on the on the hotline, and it was thirteen minutes long. So Bucket wasn't sure if I would air the whole thing or edit it down or what. So he asked Carl. He said, "Did they put put the whole thing out or what?" And Carl goes, "Yeah, I started fifteen minutes ago, and you're still fucking talking." <laughs> And um, so that, that's positive feedback, but we always do welcome constructive criticism. But this is the second time I've heard this now, Paul. Someone has sent me that these uh, are always having the same people on. I, I mentioned this before, and I kind of shot that down. I said, Oh, hang on, over 100 different people have been on this hotline. And someone said it to me again at Oriel Park, and I said, No, hang on, there were 16 people on that hotline, seven, seven of them had never been on the show before. So to me, that's, that's new people now. So I, re- I reject your hypothesis, sir. And um, as for dads, what about your own dad, Paul? Um, would he be influential for you? Would, did he get you into robbers? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, my dad's from, from Boyne Street there, just kind of in around Perry Street where kind of Joe's Mason and stuff like that is from. So uh, I think his brother brought him to the to his first robbers match kind of late 50s, early 60s. So... He brought me, my first game I remember is, is the 94 season in the RDS. Um, I think we, I, was, I can remember being on the pitch when they won the league, I was only six years of age. Um, but yeah, we've been kind of, there was a couple of years where we probably didn't go every week, but when, when I was in school, primary school and stuff like that, I had a family, we had a family season ticket. Um, my dad, my brother and obviously myself used to go to the games and travel to most of the way, most of the games now with my dad. Uh, wouldn't sit with him, he'd sit in the main stand with all the that the, the old lads that like to have a whinge uh, and I'd sit in the south stand with a few of the lads I used to go to school with and stuff so but he definitely would be influential yeah, I wouldn't be following overs if it wasn't for him 
What about his favourite players and your favourite players? Let's say before Tala, who would they be? My favourite player would your be... Your dad uh, and, and dad's you. dad's is Frank O'Neill. Uh, uh, he always says a Frank O'Neill. I actually walked in his house one day. We were out in, I think it's out in Clonturf. And I was installing a broadband line in, in, into his house. And he seen the name on the order. I said Frank O'Neill. And I walked into the house and he was sitting there on, on front of the, the TV. I think he was watching the golf or something like that. But I just had to ask him. He was there with the wife and stuff. And uh, I was there with one of the lads that I was training in. I just said to him, any chance you're Frank O'Neill, the Shamrock Rovers player? And he said, yeah, yeah. And we had a good conversation uh, about Rovers. Told him everything. Told him blah, blah, blah. That was, uh, that was my dad's favourite player and stuff like that. But I, Jay Maloney still to this day always says to me, how did you not get a photo with, him, with Frank O'Neill? Yeah. But uh, the first thing I done when I got out of the house, I rang my dad saying, I'm working with Frank O'Neill, so he couldn't, he couldn't stop telling me stories of, of how good he was. But you do hear a lot, a lot of people of that, uh, that age group would say, obviously Frank O'Neill would be their favourite player. Yeah, people of that age group. He's always one of the first names on the team yeah. sheet, isn't he? Like, yeah. He's definitively our best winger. If you ever run to John Cody, he'll say the same thing to you every yeah. time. Yeah. He doesn't get dirt on his knickers. That's what they called yeah. it back then. But cause, basically because no one could get the ball off and no one could stop the cross. So yeah. he had no reason to go to the ground ever. Yeah, yeah, and the no. crosses were so accurate, apparently. Um, pinpoint, he'd look up, yeah. pin, pick out who he wanted. That's what my dad used to say. He said every time he just, he'd just look down, he'd drop the shoulder and he'd be straight to the byline and, and he'd get the ball whipped in. Uh, my dad and John would be good friends. They worked on our post together, actually, uh, out in Edmundstown. So obviously my dad was, was watching them playing until he went to Chelsea so yeah what about your own favourite players uh, before Tala it would be Noel Hunt I used to love Noel Hunt uh, the likes of celebrations of backflip I think we, we beat Drada or, or someone probably Dundalk of all teams we probably beat them about 5-0 in, in, um, in Tolka and backflips off but I, I never forget the, the last day in Richmond um, we, we won I think we beat Longford to, to qualify for Europe it was obviously the year the following year we played Audra and stuff like that in 2002 and it was the last game before he was moving to Scotland and everyone went onto the pitch held him up on their shoulders he was stripped off he walked off the pitch with just his boxers on <laughs> so uh, he was he was definitely well well loved there What about post Uh I suppose it's, everyone's going to say Twig aren't they um, I'm trying to think who probably Ronan Finn yeah probably Ronan Finn uh, Ronald Finn or Stephen Rice I'd say would be probably my two, two favourite players very, very kind of similar similar attitudes good work rate as well so yeah Finn was sent off of course on Friday I was trying to think how many times he's been sent off I think that might be third I didn't check before the show mm-hmm. but uh, so the that game we'll go straight on to we lost 1-0 uh, we're still playing in a domestic league believe it or not you wouldn't know based on yeah. the chat from the last week yeah. uh, Jack and Berkey not risked on the artificial pitch at least that's what I read in the paper yeah um, it was just kind of said matter of factly I didn't actually hear Brazier and McPhail say that did you? no I didn't I didn't hear it I didn't even know until I got up there that there was none of them obviously we had a, a worry about Jack he's been he's been carrying that niggle on his back for a while and as far as I know it's his back mm. um, but I wasn't sure why Borky was left out it makes sense in fairness I'm sure plenty of players struggle up there on that pitch Lions an unused sub as well, but then he started the next day in Cliftonville. Obviously, a friendly and an easier game, but at the time, I suppose we were watching the game and we're thinking, why isn't Lions coming on? That's the right thing. Um, McPhail in, in the dugout, Brazzer was unavailable for family reasons. Uh, nobody realised this until half time, did they? Was yeah, like, oh, I, he's not in the dugout there. I asked actually Deco myself, Deco Fitz, and, and Mark Turner as well. I didn't cop it myself until, until half time, but uh, I didn't understand. Well, it, Listen, I would have liked to see Andy Lyons come on, obviously. Um, I thought we were really struggling uh, creatively. 
and obviously our midfielders that's where you're looking for your spark from but um, I think Andy's a great outlet in regards to attacking and I thought we really could have done with him on the pitch uh, Pigo turned 30 on, on the day of the game that was that bit of news uh, so I came down in the Aussie Nate mobile with Deco uh, a few cans good crack we were both dressed like rappers apparently according to Gar ready to drop our next album the lads were nonplussed that I was in a tracksuit they'd never seen that before apparently um, Nate took a strange shortcut through a field but thankfully we didn't end up in a temporal causality did you ever hear that one? no no Oh, Pat Tuhi, uh coined that phrase oh so this is true Cavan when you're just constantly on the same road over and over again on the way it? to Bally Buffet I think it was yeah yeah, yeah. you yeah. go through Cavan and it's up and down and up and down for, for about an hour yeah yeah but Thank, I, he, he, did, he did go the right way but uh, did you drive yourself I did I drove up yeah with my dad and uh, get O'Grady Christy O'Grady of Angel Street so he usually comes on the way mm. he comes on the way trips with us so and we actually passed just walking into the ground you just, you just were drinking cans out of the boot of the car so it looked like a tailgate in an NFL game or it was very like classy I thought the way yeah. we were doing that yeah but it wasn't then, <laughs> <laughs> I remember going on one away trip with you or two actually there was two in a week there was like a Limerick on a Tuesday and what was on the Friday can't remember it was like two away days in one week and me, you, Tohi and I think it could have been Waterford or Cork because I think, oh, we, I, think Waterford, had, yeah. I think we'd Limerick, Waterford and Cork in the space of three weeks because I remember putting the photo up on Facebook of three great away crowds at the time we were flying and mm. we were getting really big away attendances so there was three good photos there so one of them was in the back of Pat, Pat Tutty's car am I right in saying that? Um, I think he drove down oh yeah Tutty yeah. drove down yeah, yeah yeah I think it was 2017 we won both matches yeah yeah. although Waterford weren't, weren't in the league in 2017 maybe it's 2018 Um. So, Gar Brennan was not in the car. Apparently, this boycott is official with, with Gar now. He's, he's not doing Oriel Park. Uh, I ended my boycott after three years, and I regret it now. Um, about four different people came up to me after the match. As well as because we just lost, so you're cranky. Yeah. But four different people came up to me, and I was like, never again. The two fields, was, uh, is it Sean's dad and uncle, the both of them came up to me separately. Never again, Carl, never. <laughs> Sick of Oriel Park. Um, you famously don't do the away buses, Polly. Have, oh, have you ever do. been on one? Oh, yeah, I've been on loads. I've been on a couple of 50s ones to Sligo in the last two or three years. So that's how quiet I am. You haven't even noticed <laughs> I'm on the bus, you know? Now that you mentioned it, I do remember you've been on uh, one. The yeah. only time you'll probably hear of me is if Maloney's make, making his way down to the back of the bus and he steps on me toe or falls on top of me or something. But I'm usually quiet enough on the, on the buses, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Usually up the front. And I, I, I drive because my dad doesn't drink and... Uh, Get O'Grady doesn't drink as well so they, they don't really like the buses so it'd usually be the one that gets stuck driving with them yeah Gary was on the Wack Express he was he called it luxury he was amazed that they had electricity uh, <laughs> the Pride of Rings End had cup holders very fancy so, yeah very fancy yeah you have to up your game there with the, with the away day bus yeah we'll have to tempt you on another uh, 50s bus Paul I think uh, mandatory point of green ribbon on the yeah. way of course I've had it a few times yeah um, no I'll definitely do I usually do two or three three years so um, I think I've done Bally Buffet there that was it last year I can't remember but uh, yeah we'll definitely definitely do one or two Nate had a good question for me on the way down uh, he's great for pondering these these things he's wondering uh, what are we going to wear in our jersey in Europe isn't there like a rule that UEFA have that you can't wear gambling sponsors yeah true actually yeah so yeah. if we can't wear 888 maybe we'll have like the Remember before the JD's um, jersey came out, we had nothing on it. I actually have that at home. It's a beaut. 
maybe we'll have nothing on on the front. Remind me of something. Uh, Liverpool played Bran, the the Norwegian team that we played in the nineteen ninety seven Cup Winners Cup, and at the time Liverpool was sponsored by Carlsberg, so they couldn't have Carlsberg in the front because Norway had strict laws about uh, alcohol advertisement. So on the front of the jersey, it just said probably dot dot dot. Very good. That's yeah. the way they got around that. Yeah. Uh, ran into Forky at the game. Um, the Borough Hoops not happy with uh, with Gar apparently. Polly, the, there's rumours of a boxing match with Stretch. I don't know who that is, right. but apparently he would he would beat up Gar, so it's not good. He wants <laughs> he wants Roddy as ref. So there's serious beef going on here. I'm just gonna stay out of this. Uh, Ray Whedon was a steward. You yeah, saw that. I was saying that that was brilliant. I think it was a, someone put it up, and I was honestly when I arrived in, I looked at him and I said, "Jesus, that's." A mix between Ray Whelan and Mark Battle, and then we got the text. I think Dan Fulham sent him into group <laughs> with the exact same two people. Yeah. And it couldn't have been any more perfect. Yeah, he was actually good crack in fairness. He was he was chatting to us. In fairness, I think a big shout to him because I don't know whether anyone noticed. Um, John Connolly was in a lot of pain. Uh, he was standing at the corner flag. I think he was saying he slipped a disc. And he was oh, in right. serious pain he was after driving up and, I sure uh, wasn't aware of that yeah yeah lads obviously I was there, we were there just I met him probably 10 minutes before kick off and people were coming in giving him a, a tap on the back how are you John nice to see and he was in serious pain but he lasted till about the 78th minute and he had to sit down he got really bad but that steward came over and made sure he was okay and I think he got him a couple of painkillers from the from the St John's Ambulance or Order of Malta or whoever it were, were so oh, he yeah. looked after him and I think John had to shoot off about 10-15 minutes early Oh, fair play, yeah. Mm-hmm. Speedy recovery to John. Um, Deco in the car, as I said. Deco also famous for just random observations. <laughs> I don't think he'd been to Oriel Park before, so it was kind of funny to get someone who'd never been there, his perspective. And he's looking at the building behind the home shed, and he's just like, it looks like a meat processing plant. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it actually does. Which he is also, worrying for a vegan. Yeah, it is worrying. Yeah. He's also amazed that no one has pointed out that Danny Manjoyu is a ringer for the Wax Sun. I know, yeah, I've seen him a few times. I've been on the, the mm. Wax Express once or twice down to that friendly this year down in Limerick. So he didn't, look like him. he didn't understand why Danny Manjoyu wasn't on the, the Tiffy's Hotline Father's Day last week. <laughs> uh, the atmosphere, um, I think it was a Turner who pointed this out. It was a bit of a weird one. People were kind of talking about Malta, looking forward to it, rather than watching the game. Was that... Was that your experience? Yeah, no, I can understand it's coming from a man who hasn't booked Malta, so <laughs> he's probably a bit envious. But um, yeah. yeah, no, I think that happens. You can nearly tell that was going to happen. That happens every year. So everyone was talking about. I remember being in the East End plenty of times when we were doing well, and the first game after the draw, everyone would be standing there talking about whether they've booked a trip or what way they're going, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's, it's impossible to get a, to get an atmosphere up there. I don't think we've had a good atmosphere up there in a long time. Hmm. On Twitter, they're kind of giving the big one, aren't they, about how they had this great atmosphere. But, I mean, there wasn't a peep out of them until they scored. Yeah, same as and, a lot of clubs, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that 30 seconds when they score and they celebrate, that is a cool clip. But yeah. uh, I don't remember much noise until then, personally. Uh, the Wack Express stopped off in Tom Clark's bar. Apparently, they uh, got on famously. Got a shout-out on the PA as well. Um, it's my first time seeing these new and improved porta cabins not particularly clean uh, I found uh, did you, do you remember that I, was it um, I think it was the 2018 match when uh, Dylan Watts scored the last minute penalty or maybe oh, I'm trying to think what game this was now 
I only watched it the other it day. Was, I can't remember what year it was, oh, but we, we, were, we definitely won two one. Yeah, it was like an unexpected winner or equaliser late on. The, yeah. And uh, you just see Barney bursting out of the portal. It was yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. remember that. Um, it's an absolute could that classic. Been the, the, could that have been the the, the late cup final? No, was that that one? No, so there was a stand behind the goal. For no, that, so we got we got beaten on that one. Um, yeah, it may have been 2014 when Finnery glides at the end, or it may have been the 2018. Someone can correct us, I suppose, when, when they uh, reply to the show. Ian Dowie there for some reason. Don't know why. Really? Yeah. Didn't see him yet. Uh, I made the TV again. I think this is the second time in three away trips now. I, I was on LOI TV because I was in the corner with Nate and uh, and Deco. You were up in the terrace, I suppose, were But um, yeah. Notable chant, I suppose, was after Stephen Bradley, the, the Dundalk player, whipped the ball in. <laughs> we all started chanting, there's only one Stephen Bradley. So I've had to pick a highlight from the songs. What little there were, I suppose that would be it. We could have finished it with, there's only one Stephen Bradley in the ground, in fairness. <laughs> yeah. The manager wasn't available. Yeah. And I mentioned the PA there. Um, me me and Deco got quite a kick out of this PA because he just seemed to like drone on and on and on and on, just calling out random shit and uh, in fact I recorded a little bit of it so here it is Hello and welcome to Oriel Park a home of loud soccer so don't be quiet it may be a kip but it's our kip we'd like to welcome our sponsors Fifi Bananas and Bananarama and of course our thoughts and prayers are with Bananas and Pyjamas we are currently doing a stint in rehab we wish them all the very best We'd also like to thank our sponsors, Intact Software and Tony Maguire's Lawnmowers, a cut above the rest. Let's give a big audio welcome to the Wack Express and to Mick Cairns. Fair play, they actually behave themselves. And our good friends at AZ Al Kamal. I speak a bit of double Dutch myself. Just some announcements to be sure to try the local chipper van only have six chips not seven that's six chips not seven people named Carmel will be allowed into the ground for free from next Tuesday and the reminder that all flares, pyrotechnics and ballyhoo are strictly off the cards lads thanks also to our sponsors Tom and Mary in the club shop and uh, outlets no, you're up this year, but you're up your lily white shorts. That's why we're playing that song now, lads. We hope that the away fans are enjoying the new facilities. We've put a couple of bulbs in the toilets. Just I forgot to mention a few things there. A big happy birthday to me, Hall. What's that say? To Michal, uh, who's he's either 58, 68, or 88. Either way, Michal, have yourself a good birthday. Our brilliant sponsors, CTI Business Solutions, Deluxe Bathrooms, and Irish FI. Get your celebrity shout out now. Andrea Carr, Caroline Carr, and Sharon Carr will offer you a birthday greeting or a bar mitzvah greeting or a Diwali greeting or any, any sort of greeting for 25 euros 
we can get one for Jim for five. Uh, I'd like to give a special congratulations to the the team from St. Columbus, six years who won the Egg and Spoon race and now go on to the European Championships out in Bratislava. So that was the Dundalk PA party, uh, some mad stuff there, uh, Cargill. So we'll talk about the game now. Um, earliest chance fell to Benson, he headed wide from a free kick early on. Uh, first half, like, how do you how do you think it went? I don't. Th- I think we were we were probably the better side in the first half without creating anything. Um, we just we, we did look a bit solid. They they weren't troubling us too much, um, but we it, it, we probably should have been probably one 0 up uh, in the first half. I think I think we we not real not real. Uh, sorry, we didn't create much, but we had we had a lot of pressure uh, mm. without getting them behind the back line. I think our only shot on target in the game was the Gaffney one was a, a header and but it was straight at um oh, what's the goalkeeper's name? Uh not not uh Brian uh, no Brian Myers, the Derry keeper. Um I know here talking about yeah, he's very good. But I think that was our only one on target in the match. The Gaffney had one to start of the second half when he uh hit the side netting. That's probably our only chance of the second half. Grace maybe a great one as well from a corner. He headed over. Just every, every shot seemed to be kind of widely off target in this match. Yeah, we is that t- what you felt? Yeah, we thought we probably our two best chances were where we didn't get a shot off in the first half. I think Daniel Andrew got through just to the left of the goal, uh, up the far end, and he just he just couldn't get the shot away. I don't know whether he tried to turn inside, and the same thing happened Richie Tell in the second half. He was it looked like he was just on the edge of the six yard box, and all he had to do was was hit it towards goal, and he tried to turn inside again. And it was cleared out for a corner. Yeah, you're right now to think about that one. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I think that was very frustrating. Yeah, I didn't have the best of angles behind the goal, but at the time that felt like the chance. That was the really. moment. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I thought we were decent in the first half, and then we're just nowhere at it in the second half. That was a very similar performance to Drada when we were up in the road last time. Um, just struggling, struggling to create. It was just one of those days. Uh, two in a couple of weeks which is which is a bit of a worry the only thing I'd hope is that maybe giving the Maltese side a bit of false sense of security <laughs> um, but yes yeah, something something I don't know whether something needs to change or maybe a change in the squad and maybe mix it up a mm. bit and bring a few fresh legs in yeah a couple of people have said that there was a carbon copy of Drogheda did you feel like we were trying to pass the ball into the net at times with Drogheda and this game yeah definitely yeah sometimes you just especially with the midfielders like I know we were struggling there, obviously, with, um, with, with Bourne and Bork missing. So that's when you're looking for the likes of Dylan Watts and Danny Mandrew mm. to, to, make a, to, to make a spark and, and keep their place in that team. Um, just didn't feel like we created enough. We didn't have a, enough shots on goal. Um, especially with that Astro, you don't know what way the ball is going to bounce if you do hit it. And yeah, it's so unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, we were missing the guy, let's say, of Berkey and Jack, who was quite noticeable. And... We just didn't create any aside from the the tell one that we spoke about. We just didn't create anything second half really, and uh, it was really poor. It was a poor enough game in general. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and you wouldn't be rushing back to it if you were if you were uh, new to the league or anything like that. Unfortunately, yeah. so they took their chance. Although I thought they were sort of, um, I think they threatened a couple of times before that. So they looked more likely to score than those second half. Yeah, to be honest with you, I thought, I thought about 60, 65 minutes in, they were really starting to put us under pressure. And you could mm. see they were winning numerous corners. They were constantly winning uh, 
attacking us down the left. We were struggling to get the ball out from the back four and stuff like that. They kept winning the ball in midfield. Uh, you, you did feel the goal was coming. There was one man who I won't mention his name was constantly shouting that we need to blow <laughs> it up and get out of there as quick as possible. So um, He ended up in the pub after 80 minutes and missed the goal as far as I'm <laughs> You can probably know who that is. Yeah, um, so the goal came from uh, Robbie Benson. I think that's his, that's his 12th career goal against us. He's always been a thorn in our side, hasn't he? Uh, superb ball in, in fairness, by McCarry. And I've seen a couple of people criticise Al, but I mean, how do you come for that ball though? I mean, it's, it's so perfect. Yeah, I've seen it said it, it was Jack Bourne esque. I think that's the way they described it on LOI TV. It really was Jack Bourne esque. Um, mm. It was quick, it wasn't it wasn't high, um, there's plenty of pace on it. You can't really come out. If you come out and miss that, you look really, really stupid. Um, yeah. you're, you're hoping your defenders are going to get you get you out of trouble there. Um, I think Lee Grace was. I think he. I think he noticed it too late. He did look behind him and then mm. got caught in between. Was it Grace or O'Neill who was tracking them? It was O'Neill that was tracking him, and Grace was yeah. kind of caught underneath the ball. But uh, yeah, between the two of them, I think we should have dealt with it a bit better. Yeah, and then of course the red card comes after that. Uh, Ronald Finn for a second yellow. Uh, pretty silly challenge to make when you're on a yellow, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very hard to see from where I was. I was beside you near the corner flag, but it was only about two rows up, so it was very hard to see down that end of the round. Yeah, mm. uh, with people obviously standing up on the uh, up against the hardens, but uh, yeah, listen, maybe a bit bit better uh, intuition there in regards getting them off the pitch if he is booked, and you know they're coming down the left a lot, so probably could have done with a substitution there a bit earlier. Do you find yourself talking to people like I do, who are they get overly worried after defeats like this? So that's four defeats now, all the way from home. So the Dock draw had a Pat's Derry. The Derry one obviously came in the last minute from a Pico uh, mistake. Pat's draw and the Dock, kind of similar games where we didn't really look like getting anything from them. Um, like how do you feel after these defeats? You just think it's going to happen now and then, or do you, are you worried? I only said it on the way home in the car uh, to me dad I said I said nobody should be allowed to post on an overshot for 24 hours after a game <laughs> personally that's what I think and I know a few people have said that uh, just because some of the stuff after the defeat is is crap you know what I mean um, yeah in fairness we, we did we were poor uh, a lot of people are calling for a, a striker to be brought in that sort of stuff then you have the other argument of well we've won two two league titles without having a main striker then is it the case that teams need to be freshened up every now and again? So will you get away with that for three years in a row? Uh, that could be an issue. But uh, I don't really look too much into them. I, I don't think we're going to win. What? How many league games did we lose last season? I know we lost none in twenty nineteen with the COVID six, season. So we've uh, four now. Obviously none in twenty twenty. Yeah. So and we're twenty games in, or nineteen twenty games in. Um, you could look at those stats and get worried, I suppose, but. Typically, we we start motoring after Europe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. This year we've done a lot better than where we were at this time last year. This time last year, it was all the late goals, and we were sort of winning one nil, two one, close games. So I don't know if Brazier has deliberately tried to have his peak early this year, maybe. But um, I wouldn't be too worried after four defeats now. Um, I've heard people say, "Why don't we have a plan B?" But like you say, two leagues in the cup. Um, only thing I would say is subs. We only made two subs in this game, and we spoke about Lions. But um, Frugia, I'm surprised he didn't he didn't come on. Chris McCann came on. A lot of people were kind of baffled by that one. 
did the subs kind of uh, baffle you? I can understand why Farouja probably didn't come on considering it, he's probably rested Bork and Bourne so they don't get an injury and Farouja's been well known for, for his injury so maybe he wanted to to leave him off you might, say, you might see him start the next game or uh, if Cavill doesn't start um, yeah Chris McCann I suppose he came on did he come on with our 1-0 down? I actually can't remember now but um, yeah no it just feels kind of lazy to me when people say we've no plan B when when we get these late goals the equalisers and the winners everyone's praising the management team saying all oh, well done you trust the process stick yeah. to the principles you can't have it both ways I think the only thing I would say is about the subs I, I do think we should bring on subs who offer something different in the game like Idemo was at the start of the year I know he'll admit himself he hasn't been at his best lately but the likes of Idemo and Friuja I like when they come on we can offer something different Whereas when McCann comes on, I don't think he is offering anything different. We're chasing the game. Um, like, would you go along with that? Yeah, I think I think most people would agree that maybe Gaffney and, and Green are very similar type of players. That they play with their back, they can play with their back to goal and try to get the ball in. Where obviously Amaku is going to hopefully run in behind and cause them, stretch them, create more space in the midfield, uh, and for our for our kind of full backs as well uh, to or our wing backs to to get forward. So. Yeah, it would have been probably nice to see see uh, a different type of um, substitute come on there. Yeah, it was pointed out to us that Cotter was actually about to come on before the goal. So the idea obviously was there to inject a bit of energy into the team and then they score and then things change, obviously. Um, so it could have been, we could have been 11 points clear with a win that night and now it's five and they have a game in hand and it's against UCD. So that is quite a swing so I guess that's why people had that knee-jerk reaction and they were worried and everything. Um, Stephen O'Donnell's first win over us. And that fucking jersey. Yeah, I heard someone, as soon as the goal went in, I heard someone screaming that we should burn that jersey and get rid of it. So, are you still not one under it with it on? Or? I think we have one under it, but I, I just associated with it's just not draws and defeats and Florida away. Yeah, yeah. And... Like it started out as a joke, but now I'm being serious. I think it should be burnt. <laughs> We've had some really nice uh, black and green away jerseys over the years, really nice ones. Um, but that one just doesn't seem like a, a decent Rovers jersey. I think when it came out, everyone said it was more of a train and top than a jersey, um, and it just yeah, it just doesn't feel like a decent decent away jersey. Let's just accept that there there are like forces of nature out there that we quite can't understand. Let's just accept that. We're not going to win a match in this jersey. And let's just get rid of it. Let's just do it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, McPhail did LOITV. And like we said, he was in the Zuggo. Um, there was a tweet from Dundalk Report on Twitter, uh, which kind of felt like clickbait. I don't know if they're being serious or not. But with Sean Gannon inexplicably struggling for game time at Shamrock Rovers, would you take him back at Oriel Park? Get your answers in below. Which I don't know. It seemed like a bit of a weird one. Is this another Gary O'Neill situation where apparently he doesn't play enough games, and neither does Sean Gannon? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure Sean Gannon has played plenty of football as much as he has. The likes of Sean Cavanagh and Neil Farouge and everyone yeah. else, bar probably Sean Hor Lopez and, and Grace. So he's definitely getting plenty of game time. We talked about on last week's podcast about their hatred of of Sean Gannon. So I think it was more at that they were curious: would they take him back given all the stick they've given him? Yeah. Um, I, I only talking about that on the way home as well uh, in the car 
the, the stick they give him. Uh, I think we were guilty of it when Finn left. It's just football fans, it's fickle. Yeah. But I guarantee it in 20 years' time, they will have Sean Gannon on their own podcast talking about how great those years were and how great he was with them. So it's, Absolutely, it's yeah. football fans. Like I said, like if if somebody won, what, seven leagues and how many cups and two group stages and all, for Rovers, yeah. could, you, could you ever dislike that player? No, but I know there's plenty of Rovers fans that as soon as they walk away from the club or move on to something else, even if they're not offered a new contract, that they'd, they'd happily build them and everything else gives them plenty mm. of stick. So. Well, it wouldn't happen here, really, would it? We wouldn't offer a player like that a one-year deal and then our rivals offering them uh, two, three. So that, that's what it came down to, really. They offered him a one-year one deal. It was, you know, it was poor. It was, it was a no-brainer, really. Also, someone coming out of the ground said, like, do we ever play well at this ground? No, I can't. I, I genuinely can't remember. Uh, the worst, the worst game I've ever been up there was the under Mick O'Neill. Was the when he signed Neil Fenn, obviously. Um, <laughs> and me and my dad stood in the. We, we were in the stand for it, the home stand, obviously in the away section, and it was horrific. It was awful. He should have never started the game. Pissing rain as well, wasn't it? Pissing rain, yeah. <clears throat> so obviously, the, the the situation there was <clears throat> he'd retired, and I think about about two or three weeks later, he'd he'd retired, got all his tax, and then signed for Rovers as a free agent. Um, and he was really hating and we played him and he got awful abuse and they beat us I think it was 5-1 um, yeah Matthew Tipton scored a hat-trick yeah. and they were singing we'd rather have a Tipton than a fan yeah it's yeah. Dundalk we're singing um, yeah good performances there and uh, the Shazzy Swivel out on the Sunday afternoon that's the only one I can think of yeah, um, yeah. Um, Brandon Miele's goal in the semi-final of the cup yeah that, that was the equaliser to bring him back to Tala one all, all yeah I think Dave McAllister got sent off yeah, there was, was a great, actually, you can see the video of that in there, uh, when Melee scores into the far corner and the, everybody runs to the fans and the dugout all runs to the fan, I think it was in about the 80, 90 minute or something, but it was a great, it's a great video on YouTube. Uh. That one that I mentioned there, the, the Shazzy Swivel, I think, do you remember McAllister set the tone that day? He Remember he hit the story he told in the podcast, it would have been a few years ago now, but uh, he did something that Scott Brown did to him when Celtic came to Tala. Scott Brown took our side of the tunnel and McAllister was captain that day. You know, we lost, what, 9-0 or whatever. And McAllister was just going, he's after doing me there. Before he'd even gone out into the pitch. Yeah, yeah so yeah. then a couple of weeks later, Finn was injured, I think. So McAllister was captain. So he says, I'm going to do this to Dundalk. And it's great the way he tells the story. And Luke Byrne was behind them. And like... The Dundalk players were shouting at our players, they were like, like oh, you, you, you bastards, like, fuck off and all. And their fans were kind of leaning over the barriers or whatever, shouting at, at their players. And Lukey Byrne just goes, I love this. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and it just set the tone. And Shazzy's got after six minutes, and we never looked like not yeah. winning that game. Yeah, McAllister was one of them players in fairness, wasn't yeah. he? He was tough. He was, a, he was in the mall of Stephen Rice. He, he kind of always wanted it from the start, so. Yeah, I love David Mack, yeah. Yeah, really good player now. Well, probably not the most talented, but he was really, he knew his heart was there and he was always going to give it everything. I loved his goal celebrations. He just got angry. Yeah. Uh, I interviewed him in the programme there for the Shells game a few weeks back and I asked him that question. I was like, what did your missus always say to you about your goal celebrations? She's like, why are you so angry? <laughs> um, so when that, when that question was asked in the ground afterwards, do we ever play well here? Someone pointed out, well, we actually won 4-0 here 
Jack Burns scored that outrageous goal from the tight angle, but of course none COVID. of us were there because of COVID. Which is typical, isn't it? Our best performance there in a decade, and no one was there. Nobody was there, yeah. And I th- and I think that was the it was probably kind of the the confirmation of the toy tournament between ourselves and and Dundalk. Um, you'd like to think that's going to go on for another couple of years the way they dominated us, but it's worrying to see them come back so well. Uh, I can't imagine. I, I can't see it lasting too like till the end of the season. You'd imagine, you'd hope to see them fade away under O'Donnell, especially with his fourth year there building the team. Hmm. And speaking of COVID and that that period in the height of COVID, this is a terrible segue. But anyway, you got married in in the height of COVID, and uh, it, it was. I remember the pictures like it was it was really adorable because the streets were practically empty back then like uh we were, we were in one of the lockdown was the sec first or second lockdown but um yeah I think it was the second lockdown yeah yeah and I remember Marty Whedon was it um tweeted he had spotted you guys and then he spoke about it on the radio so uh I suppose just give us a couple of stories about that day because I enjoyed that one yeah it was actually believe it or not it wasn't me and Michelle that he seen it was uh, Michelle and our, our dad getting out of the, the car I was already ah. in the, the registry office so we tweeted uh, the bride and groom look lovely he was obviously talking about Michelle's, <laughs> Michelle's dad so I got a bit of stick over that one but yeah, yeah it was COVID we were only it was during COVID uh, I think it was geez, when it was March obviously but I think it was 2020 um, and we were only we were only allowed to have 10 people at the at the registry office, uh, it was something we just decided to do. We had a lot of friends that were were getting married, and they'd planned it for a couple of years, and they kept having to cancel. Obviously, 2019, 2020, mm-hmm. and they just didn't know. Even our next door neighbours there, they'd only moved in same time as us. They're, they're, they're a couple of years younger than us, and they planned, and they'd had to cancel our wedding twice. And you could see how stressed out they were about it. So we just said, "Listen, we'll do it. And we'll have a big party then when 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 everything comes around." So we still haven't done that yet, but that's that'll definitely be in the pipeline. But uh, yeah, it was a great day. We had to the league trophy up here so we got a couple of photos and stuff like that mm-hmm. so it was, a, yeah, it was a really good day and the fact that the, the town was and the city was so quiet it was 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 it odd but also kind of did it make it unique yeah it was brilliant we actually uh, we, we obviously took a few photos with the photographer um, the photographer who, who brought us around town we were in the likes of uh, we were on the canal we had a few photos on the canal and then we went up to I think it's Memorial Park up in just off the just off the Bally Fairmage out the Chapel is a Jill Carriageway there. We went in there for a few photos and not many people were out but there's plenty of old people out walking and it was great that you could see the joy in their face when they seen us going in and they obviously in my suit and, and shelves in the wedding dress and wishing us plenty of uh, uh, best wishes and stuff like that so it was really nice yeah. And the other Paul McGrath sent in a video message for you. Yeah that was delighted I was delighted with that Um Michelle's sister had had got in touch with him, and he sent he sent his his regards over to us for for the big day. And I've I've met him, I've met him twice before. So he is he's really, he is really nice. And uh, I'll be plugging the program later on uh, about my own article and stuff. But Maloney has his, his usual piece uh, called "Literary Genius." That is Jason Maloney. Uh, Robert Coggins shows that title. But he's talking about the draw, um, the Champions League draw. And he described it as being like Christmas, and he spoke about how this is the date he's been looking forward to all year. This has been in his calendar. He knows this date, June 14th. And he spoke about, or he speaks about when you read it on Friday, we have to make up for last time because we were robbed of a trip to the San Siro two years ago. Uh, we were robbed of a trip even to uh, Paris for the friendly. 
Um, so it's three years we've been waiting now. So is that how you look at this as well now, Malta? We have to make up for last time. Let's enjoy this. Yeah, definitely. You've probably seen me, me post on the Rovers chat. So I think if there's anyone out there, I've obviously been on plenty of away trips, uh, European away trips, and I think if there's anyone um, that is hemming and hawing about going or unsure of whether to go, I think they should definitely bite the bullet and, and book it. It's, it's a brilliant couple of days away. Um, you'll meet a lot of people over there that you won't, that you've never met before, but you'll end up chatting away to and you'll see them in Tallis Stadium, you'll see them at away games and some of the best stories you have at Rovers are usually usually the away trips. Possibly could be our biggest tra- ever travelling support. Aside from White Hart Lane, obviously that was three, four thousand in the in the away end. But um, like, what would you predict actually for for travelling support here? You would imagine there's easily two fifty, three hundred, maybe maybe even four hundred booked already, um, and that's without the charter being confirmed. Yeah. So we would imagine there's at least three hundred booked. Hopefully, anyway. Uh, there's plenty of routes to get there. When when, I, when we were all texting about the draw and the possible opponents, and I think everyone was looking at the direct flights to Malta, which were fairly expensive. They were about 451 way, and um, so even that looked expensive compared to mm-hmm. some of them. Some of them were eight nine hundred quid to get to the likes of was it Belarus or Georgia? I think it was and Macedonia and stuff. So yeah, we've done really well. That there is plenty of ways to go. You see a lot of people going through London. Some people have seen yesterday going through Zurich and stuff like that. So there's at least there's good <laughs> good places to go through. There's some lunatics as well. They own two trips on the way over, so London to Milan, then on. <laughs> what was it? Ven- Venice on the way yeah, back. Yeah, and I all don't this. know how they manage that now. Um, so we're all staying in St. Julian's, isn't it? What's what's your route? What day and what's, what uh, airports? Uh, I'm heading out, I think we're heading out about 9 o'clock uh, Sunday morning. We're heading into Stansted. We've got a four or five hour lay, uh, wait then and, and then on straight on to, to Malta and then coming back on the Thursday. Through, through Gatwick so we were on the phone we were thinking about what to do where I think I rang Jay about five probably six times on, on Monday trying to get her on the, the day of the draw trying to get it trying to get it up and running and um, the lads always slag me in the job it's usually my busiest day of the year because I'm just constantly trying to book flights and, and that sort of stuff um, but I just he said to me what do you want to do and the game hadn't been confirmed for whether it was the Tuesday or the Wednesday yet so we thought that uh, why not go Monday to Thursday at least they're covered uh, always and then mm-hmm. my big thing is annual leave I just if we're going to go on the Monday we may as well go on the Sunday because you're not going to use up any more annual leave to get an extra day's holiday over it's not too expensive over there so we just we decided to go Sunday to Thursday yeah the charter as we record here it's it's Wednesday evening still no news in the charter but it's supposed to be uh, Sunday morning back Tuesday night after the match Um, so yeah I'd agree with you I'd rather go on, on, the, on the Sunday Um, so you're obviously you've been waiting for this one, Paul. You're not going to get out of this one. You're unwanted away record. Uh, I want you to actually call out the games you've been to in Europe. Um, so my first one would have been first one was Juventus. Probably a lot of people's first away trip. We weren't expecting to win that one, in fairness. No, no. Uh, so is this away trips? Yeah, away, away, away in Europe. Trip, yeah. So. First one is Juventus, then Flora Italian. Thought we were going to win there, obviously. Nil all draw, Manus's last game. I'm sure it felt like a win, that one. It felt like a win, yeah, but it's not a win now, and I have people giving me stick <laughs> over my, my record. Um, then we done, I've done Copenhagen, I've done the charter to Copenhagen. We were obviously, I think we were beating 1 0 that day. Uh, we played really well. We probably mm. should have got at least a draw out of that, I think. Uh, I didn't do Partizan, we've obviously won away from home. Uh, watched that in the Aberley. Uh, some great scenes there. 
Um, didn't do it open Kazan. So obviously Spores, we we were we were beating three one there. I done Pelk. We were really good there. Shepherd got a great goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, beating two one that day. That was probably our best performance. It was the six group games. Well, obviously Wyrick Lane was a great performance, but it felt it was the only one out of the other ones like Ruben Kazan, Pelk, where we were. We were really in the game for all of it, weren't we? Yeah, I remember we we, we actually got clapped. Like they gave us plenty of abuse, and when we started singing, there was massive bills around that the, the Tumba Stadium. But they did. They clapped us out at the end when we were walking out, and they were kind of, or as they were walking out past the stand, and we were being kept in. They clapped us in because we gave a good account of ourselves, and I think they, that was more to the team. That was to the team as much as it was to the fans. I think they were they were delighted to get out there with a two one win because we were putting them under real pressure when it was one all. Mm. I think Kazan as well. We equalised, didn't we? That yeah, Kenneman equalised early on, and uh, they won four one. Farka was was way over the line. There was it was a pullback. Not that it mattered in the end, I suppose yeah. we were going to lose anyway. But uh, I just remember that being outrageous, and they actually had the assistant linesman. Remember those? Yeah. Before VAR. Oh yeah, yeah. Behind at the at the. So There's actually a fella standing there, and the thing is like one or two feet over the line. I'm like how? And he didn't give it. I can't remember that. No, he didn't yeah. give it. Didn't he? Didn't give it. No. Jesus. Um, yeah, so since then we've done Ekranas, uh, which which was an absolute disaster. I think that was Stephen Kenny's last game, wasn't it? Right not Sunday. not his last game, no. But uh, yeah, it was plenty. But, uh, he was gone soon after. Yeah, he ran down the tunnel. He came nowhere near us. He couldn't wait to get down the tunnel. After that, he was getting plenty of mm. plenty of abuse. Uh, Luxembourg, uh, nil all. Big shout out to Dave Dunn, who was very very unhappy that we that we didn't win that game. I remember him. He was <laughs> when when the full time whistle went. Uh, all the the Luxembourg players had their kids come onto the pitch and they were walking around shaking hands and. He was screaming that this looked like a crash and how did we not beat this team? It was a crash that we were playing against. It was very funny in fairness. We all, we, a few of us had a good laugh at that. Some heat in that one, I said. Was, was it 35 yeah, it was degrees? Warm. Yeah, it was really warm. Apparently Malda is 36, was 36 on the Friday that we played um, Dundalk. So that, that's the major worry there, yeah. It's going to be hot. Yeah, definitely. Um, Finland, it's not a trip to Finland, which was one all. I think we were beating two at home. Brad's um, first game in charge, yeah. Yeah, Finland. I actually got, I'm pretty sure I got Pat Finland's seat on that charter. Um, I wasn't <laughs> gone until the night before, or a couple of days before, and I think uh, Finland, Pat, Pat Finland was sacked that day, and I got a phone call off Jonathan Roach, I think it was, saying, Does the seat have to become available? So I, I, I took it. <laughs> Did it say Nutsy on the seat? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was only a small seat as well. Didn't get to the Iceland, done, done Balaslav, uh, Balaslav, which we obviously were beating over there, which was a great game. Um, See, now I'm getting worried. Yeah. So why you just skipped over Iceland there, like that was a nice little I wasn't win. there, I wasn't there. I don't know why I didn't go there. I don't know whether I was at a, it might have been at a wedding in Florida, one of my friends' weddings, got married in Florida, so I couldn't go. And he was involved. that was most of your, a lot of years of force trips as well, wasn't it? Or there was a couple of that hadn't been in a few yeah, years. Yeah, I did Wired Lane, but it was kind of my first proper foreign trip. Yeah, yeah. Um, my first since Wired Lane, so... It was uh, yeah. That was a good seeing, one, yeah. I seen the videos, everyone celebrating. I was like, "How have I missed this? Another another win, and I've missed it." So it was three yeah. or four of them in the last couple of years. Um, I'm claiming this one, which is Stockholm AIK. We beat them one 0 in ninety <laughs> minutes, so I think I should be able to claim this one. But certain people won't let me claim it. We'll uh, we'll take the serious inquiry, aka Jason Maloney. Well, he's the one who won't give me it, so <laughs> it's not going to happen. Uh, and then Bran was that was Bran and Limassol were the last two we were at, so a two all draw in in, in Bran and Limassol. We Bran's a great one, the last minute goal. Brilliant, yeah. Obviously not a win, but it was a great trip, great great ending to the game. Um, 
So yeah, how many games was that in total? Did you count? I think this is my tour date, so I'm hoping it's lucky for lucky for me. Number lucky thirteen. So tour date, away trips, no victories, which is yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not a great record. I'm surprised Maloney hasn't asked you not to go. Well, I put in it. Uh, I seen the the result yesterday from Lavadia Talon and the Icelandic crowd Viking or something. But apparently six we played, one, yeah, six one. Lavadia Talon were beaten. Who who won the league against uh, Florida last year, which is a bit worrying. They got beaten six one this year, unless they lost a lot of players. But uh, I put in the group to say what it would if we were beaten at Malta, which hopefully won't happen. Do we play Malta? <laughs> or do we play the Estonians? Or do we play the Icelandic crowd? Um, Jay said to me if we get beaten in multi you'll never go on another way trip again so <laughs> I can kind of understand where he's coming from you put your hand out to be slapped yeah, there I think definitely yeah uh, quick run through the other results Bowes beat Shelburne 1-0 at home Derry won Drogheda won so at least Derry didn't win and uh, gained ground on us Pats 2 UCD 1 Sligo 3 Harps 0 and the first division Galway got back to win away as they won 5-1 in Bray in a game dubbed El Grafico because <laughs> <laughs> they're at wars over their uh, theft of graphics like, you could just see that they were waiting for weeks to use someone in the, like, the media team thought of that and they had to sit on that for weeks yeah. <laughs> waiting to use so Gavin Mazzuni completed his deal from uh, Manchester City Southampton it could be eventually worth up to 18.65 million and that would bring our total income to more than three million. So we've done quite well uh, out of this. Um, it was it was a genius clause to begin with, wasn't it? Uh, um, was it a hundred thousand per per international appearance? Yeah, for the first five. And obviously, you've got to sell on here. So it was it was fantastic forward thinking, wasn't it? To to put these clauses in. Unbelievable for a kid who who left us when he was what was he seventeen when he left us. Or play, yeah, play three 16 games, when he played for us um, probably 17 maybe when he left but yeah and only played three or four games for us so I think the people who sat around the table and negotiated with Manchester City they deserve a huge amount of credit yeah. um, and the fact that someone else said it the fact that the money has come <coughs> in so quickly you're probably expecting this to take five six years to for this to come to fruition and it's already come true like yeah and at the time I remember people talking about his parents like his parents were kind of influential in him signing a professional contract, which was so important for us and this income that's now uh, trickling in. And Steve McPhail was in the paper um, talking about Gavin, about how in the lead up to this 18 million uh, euro transfer, what does he do in this week? He spends it at Rosedown in the gym with the lads wearing robber's gear Apparently he's coming into the office talking to Brazier McPhail, questioning tactics and asking him about it. It's unbelievable. Brilliant, yeah. He seems to be very focused and I don't think he's going to change much. Um, he seems to be still the kid that loves football. He's not going to, He doesn't seem like he's, he's any more big-headed and he knows where he's come from. He's, he knows that Rovers are his club and, and I'd say he'll be back here a lot more in the future. So the next morning was... Um, the friendly in Cliftonville so it was a largely reserved side and like we said Lyon started there was a few first team players Green uh, Frugia I think played so the, the rest was kind of a makeup of uh, the young lads and Oidem uh, O'Maka with a penalty that was our goal uh, John Boyle um, presumably of Cliftonville he tweeted this 
He said, uh, never thought I would see this at Solitude or any Irish league ground. Shamrock Rovers reserve team brought their own chef to cook, to cook their post-match food. Cliftonville had pizza. The world's gone mad. I think Ray's getting more airtime than the club at this stage, <laughs> isn't he? Between, uh, between bloggers or vloggers coming over on YouTube and, and writing his curry and everything else. And yeah, Ray said, wait till they hear we actually had two chefs. Because uh, Ray Senior was was working on Father's Day, right. unbelievable. Okay, yeah. No well, rest of the wicket. No, obviously you found a Ray's curry pot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I usually get it from in the suite. Uh, got let down there the last time, but well, a couple of weeks ago when I went in, and all the Dutch lads had apparently got two servings of it. We've been there for seven <laughs> or half six, and and it was all well gone. So I ended up having to go to the to Turner's battered sausage chipper where he's had five battered sausages in, <laughs> in uh, one sitting. And he still told me up in Dundalk that he doesn't like battered sausages, even though he had five that day. But uh, and I was really nice in his food, even the meatballs are, are really good. And Liam Scale has gone to Aberdeen for a year on loan, so I think this could be a good move for him to get uh, more first-team football there. Yeah, definitely, yeah. If you listen, if he's sitting on the sidelines, he's not even getting into the squad sometimes with Celtic, so I think any any sort of game time. It's, it's a bit worrying that he's not... I thought he was ready made for Celtic, to be honest with you. Um... I've said that a few times. There's, there's, there's we, League of Ireland players just seem to struggle when they go abroad. I don't know what it is when they go to the UK. Um, I know. Uh, I've seen today, and I've seen a tweeted. Um, McGrath, Jamie McGrath, is he's been with Wigan for most of the mm. season. Obviously, he's done well up in, with St Mirren, and it looks like he couldn't get in now this last season. I know Wigan went, and I think they won the league, but it looks like he's uh, he's heading back towards Dundee United. Um, so he hasn't been able to get in there. These players. They're playing at the top of their league, and I think they they should be good enough to go to England, whether it's Championship or the SPL, and they should do well. But for some reason, it does just like it's not happening for them. Often it seems to come down to in uh, the manager trusting the player. I don't know if it's a uh, if they look at where what league they've come from or what, but it seems like when when a league foreign player is trusted and goes straight into the first team. More often than not, they hold their own, but uh, they can fall out of favour for, for whatever reasons, tactics or, or what. Jack Byrne has obviously he's talked about it many times how you know the style of football didn't suit him, or managers got sacked, and it's obviously a lot of luck involved. But um, yeah, I was the same as you. I thought Scales like when he came into the team, did he score a goal on his full um, full full debut? I think it was in the cup, yeah. Yeah, and it was a great goal as well. Yeah. Um, so I don't know like, to go from that to just not being involved at all was kind of strange yeah and you have to remember as well you're talking about being trusted by a manager that's that's all the players that Rovers get is trust it's unconditional trust from Stephen Bradley and, and Glenn Cronin and McPhail mm. uh, to, to stay on the ball to do what they want to do to pass the ball nothing really changes if they make a mistake they might get a bollocking for it but he'll be told to do the exact same next week and try to get the ball out from the back so maybe when they go, do go to these places similar to Jack the way Jack didn't want to go back to Championship last year or two years ago he wanted to go to a team that he was hoping was going to let him play football that would trust him to get onto the ball and do what he's good at and that was probably similar with the likes of Scales and stuff and the FEI Cup draw was made we are away to Banger Celtic so Carl Kearns get your boot that's four mentions now for Carl Kearns on the show uh, we're going to Dublin 12 although the game will probably be moved somewhere around it but if, if it was played in uh, Green Hills that would officially be my shortest journey ever for a Rovers match 
But uh, you'd have to run a bus. Yeah, run, run a bus. bus. Yeah. yeah, has to have electricity and cup holders. <laughs> yeah. So you could see it. Maybe it could be moved to Tala or Daily Mount Talca. I don't think they're not engaged that night. Maybe Richmond. Uh, unlikely to be played in Greenhills, but um, I think a lot of those teams around there they usually play at Richmond, do they? Like I think CIE Ranch and stuff may have played in Richmond before. Mm. Um, I seen a good tweet actually today of the two, the draw. Maybe it was yesterday, and they said the winner gets to keep the crest. <laughs> yeah. The Manga crest is very similar, so hopefully I don't get a tattoo of the Manga crest tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. That was the first thing I noticed. Yeah, and then I would go online, and that's all anybody was talking about the crest. How, how similar it was to hers there was talk of uh, the Ireland on the 21s were drawn against Israel as well did you see that both crests are more or less the exact same So no I didn't see that actually yeah. um, off the top of my head I couldn't think of a, a game we'd ever played with Banger, with Banger Celtic and um, I checked Jim Conroy's sheets although he doesn't he doesn't keep track of all friendlies in fairness so just because it's not on that sheet doesn't mean we've not met them but uh, Robert Gargans reckons we actually uh, played them on Banger Road once during the 80s. So could be something to investigate. The format I've seen today on Twitter, format, or, yeah, on Twitter or Instagram, a format hoop, Mark Keaton played for them. Uh, he was deli- delighted with the draw yesterday. So it was a good photo of him and two of his mates uh, lifting the cup. They must have won the Leinster Senior Cup with, with Banger Celtic. So it was a good photo. Yeah. Mark has longer hair than, than some, of the, some of the women at the Rovers games in the photo. So. <laughs> the hoop bet to me. Yeah, the hoop bets, yeah. yeah. So this is our first meeting with a non-league team since Bluebell in 2017. And do you remember we played Glenville the year before that? Or sorry, the, the round before that was the same season. And the last time we played a non-league team outside of Tala, so let's say if this game is not played in Tala, was Sheriff in 2014. They moved that to Talca Park. And we won that 4-0. Uh, I don't know if, random question, but any memories of playing a non-league team? We tend to win comfortably, don't we? Yeah, I know I'm going to get this wrong, but I remember playing a non-league team. I think it was Fun of the United from Donegal in Daly Mount. 2005, I think, under Roddy. And Jay McGuinness scored an absolute cracker from about 40 yards out, straight into the top corner. He kind of took yeah. it from the back, and he just... It just opened up and he just hit it and it was a cracking goal, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was fun, yeah. but we played two teams in the round. I think we got non-league size yeah, two years Yeah, there was Douglas row, Hall as well. Douglas Hall as well, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a great goal, that one. I'm not sure if his goal was against Fanad or Douglas Hall, actually. It was one of those two. But he, he worked in Ampust uh, one Christmas. I remember he, he said to Kerry, he called that a clearance, really, that yeah. goal. Couldn't yeah. get it away quick enough. One, one of those goals I wish I had seen now because I've seen it described, especially from a centre back to score from that range. Yeah, yeah, one it was of those. A mile and it was one of those times where a lot of the games probably weren't weren't even videoed, especially toward round of the mm. FAI Cup against an only side, you know. Yeah, like even even Paddy McCart's goal, his goals that season, you're lucky to find bits of them on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. You think like he should have a highlight reel of that season all over the place. So, outer crest of potty. Uh, here we have the opening of the cans. So, uh, underage results. We have the Rovers 19s beating 3-0 away to Pats. And the women's 19s won 2-1 away to P-Mount. And the women's 17s, 6-3 winners at home to Cove Ramblers. Uh, the men's 17s, 1-2-0 away to Kerry 
and the 15s won 4-2 away to Finn Harps and then we have the fixtures uh, 17s Tree United at home on Saturday at Rosedown uh, 15s Cavan Monaghan away on the Sunday and we have the 19s at home to Galway Tada 3pm kickoff 17s women away to Carlisle Kilkenny on Saturday women's 19s don't have any game and next up party this is the moment of truth it's the quiz so I've sent you the link there can you open it up normally Gary does this and he gets himself into an awful panic trying to make the timer uh, before the timer runs out to three minutes um, now we were talking about this off air this, this one is a bit harder this week the last two weeks have been you, you said they were easy by easy I mean seven I think I got seven yeah. and maybe a, a six or a seven or a seven and an eight I can't remember but uh, yeah. I usually do struggle with them so I, I deliberately thought about that and I thought okay I'll make this one a bit trickier but then I remembered you were coming on alright so. right. <laughs> I did that before I remembered you were coming on but um, so yeah we, we won't judge Paddy if he doesn't do well because some of these questions are tough now I so have seen a few results in the group yeah. alright there's been a few trees and fours as far as I know yeah, so we'll get you to read out the question and the options there. Okay. So, Luke Dimmich, the Maltese International, joined Rovers in 2002 from which club? Um, so, Sliema Wanderers, Hibernians, Floriana or Valletta? We'll go with Floriana. Oh, Sliema, never even heard of them. I've heard of the other three. That was Roddy's club, Floriana, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, what was the name of John Joel's son who played for Rovers in the 90s? Uh, Carl, Chris, Liam or Paul go with Liam no wrong again this has been a good start <laughs> a Maori the striker who joined twice from Juventus or who scored twice for Juventus and Tala earned one international cap for which country a few years later Argentina, Brazil, Portugal or Italy something's telling me he's Italian but that's probably only because he played for no he's Brazilian wasn't he Ah, for fuck's sake he was born in Brazil he right. got a cap he's one of them so well I'll only give out to me about that this isn't a good start <laughs> that's the only one he got wrong this could, this could be a whitewash <laughs> uh, two minutes left who won Rovers Young Player of the Year award in 2001 and 2002 I know it, Richie, Bo- Richie Bourne Pat Dean Stephen Grant or Shane Robinson I know you want me to pick Richie Bourne you're doing this what you do with the girl because I just, he's just trust, the your show. Instinct, trust your instinct so we'll go with Shane Robinson I'm pretty sure it was Shane Robinson ah, for fuck's <laughs> sake <laughs> Sorry, oh Jesus. Uh, Richie Bourne was sold to which Scottish club in 2003? Kilmarnock, Aberdeen, Celtic, and Dunfermline. So that was Dunfermline. One right. Uh, who scored the equaliser against Rovers at White Hart Lane? Was it Roman Pavlichenko, Jermaine Defoe, Giovanna, Giovanni Dos Santos, or Harry Kane? I'm pretty sure Pavlichenko scored against us, but whether it was the equaliser, I'm not 100% sure, but I'll go with him. Yeah, happy days. I'm making a comeback here. Uh, what was the name of the ground that Rovers played away to Apollon Limassol in the 2019 Europa League? So was it the Limassol Arena, the Ciro Stadium, Macario Stadium or the GSP Stadium? The GSP Stadium is standing out for me for some reason. Yeah, happy days. So. You were at that one? Yeah, I was at <laughs> that one, yeah. So another defeat. Uh, which player seconds so 55 left. seconds left. We've got three questions left. Which player scored a brace against Progress in the Edercorn in the 2015 Europa League? Jesus. Uh, so that melee and wicked adrenaline, I'd say, is it? I call this an easy one now. You don't remember, no? No, I'm, I'm brutal with. I'll go with wicked adrenaline. Oh, what was that? Marty Waters scored two in Europe. Mm-hmm. 
that's a bit of a shock I hope he's not listening <laughs> uh, which of these nations have Rovers not been to in a European competition we played in Spain we played in Luxembourg do we play France for some reason I'm saying we, I think we played in France so I'll go with Portugal have not been to it in European competition yeah Portugal yeah, good show and in tour day visit to Oriel Park and Stephen Brady's reign as manager how many times have Rovers won uh, I'll say two maybe two or three I'll go with two only ten seconds left Four out of ten. Four out of ten. Not a great score. We actually called out the three wins um, during the show. Remember, it was the four nil, the Shawsy Swivel in 2017, and the Dylan Moss penalty in 2018. Shite, so they yeah, were the yeah. three, yeah. Mm-hmm. Got caught with that one, yeah. Well, you, you didn't embarrass yourself. You did okay. They yeah, was, yeah, it was bad a t- start. It was a tough quiz. Yeah, who was the French team that we played against? That was Nice in 1959. Okay. Spain one was just two. Zaragoza and Valencia. Yeah. Never played Portugal and Luxembourg, obviously. That was at the Valencia game. Yeah, the reason I remember that one. Yeah. So up next is our chat with Richie Byrne, former defender from 2001 to 2003. So here he is. So we're joined now by former Rovers defender Richie Byrne, a popular player for his early noughties, and he's making his first appearance on the Thousand East End podcast. So welcome to the show, Richie. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, are you from Kilbarrick originally, is it? Yeah, originally from Kilbarrick. Uh, a lot of my family, well, all of my family are from Sheriff Street. That's where they originate. And then they moved out to Kilbarrick. And I was born then a few years later after they relocated. So the whole 11 children, I mean, Annie and Granda moved to uh, a nice little three-bedroom house on Swan's Nest Road in Kilbarrick. Uh, any memories of your early days in football? Like, who who did you like watching and who did you idolise or try and base your game on? Oh, back in them days, there were so many good players. One of me, one of the first or the earliest people I remember watching was a fella called Hugo Sanchez who used to play for Real Madrid. And I remember when he'd score, he'd do a back uh, a somersault. Uh, he'd run, do a little flip. And I loved him. He scored in nearly every bloody game. He was unbelievable. So Hugo Sanchez was my first sort of idol. After that, then my next idol was probably Romario. Uh, Romario for me was he was unreal. Um, and then John Barnes. So John Barnes. He and then they used to call me the little John Barnes. Uh, so John <laughs> Barnes. And then uh, and then I think Romario was after John Barnes, as far as I know. Um, so they were they were sort of two uh, the two next ones. Um, so well, Maradona was still around back in back in my early days of football. But uh, yeah, the two that I wanted to be was probably Romario and, and John Barnes. So you like the strikers? Did you have ambitions to play up front, or were you always a defender? Yeah, well, that's where I started. So I started off as a striker. Um, well, actually, I tell a lie. I was a left back because I was the only left footed player playing for Kilmount in Kilbarrick. And then I went to Grange Woodbine and they put me in centre mid, well, attacking midfielder. And I was good at the little true balls. So from then I went to Stella Maris and they decided to put me up front and I scored something like 40 goals in my fourth season. Uh, so I did very well. And then again, we had a, a bit of a, a mishap where I left back. They put me into left back. I had an unbelievable game. <laughs> and they kept me there. They left me in left back. So I was disgusted. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I never got my place back up front. So <laughs> so I think they liked the fact that I could sort of nullify the right side of the pitch. Um, and that was that. I never I never went back. I never went back up the pitch. 
So you signed for Robbers from Stella Maris in the summer of 2000. So this was Jimmy Jackson, the Robbers reserve manager. He brought you to the club. So what do you remember from that time and when you heard Robbers were interested? Oh, that was a great time. So I actually went from Stella Maris to Belvedere. And from Belvedere, I had two years under Padder, uh, Padder B and, and Jer Fitz. And then when we when we went to 18s, uh, Jimmy, um, there was another, there was another, um, John Moore. John Moore and Jimmy had, they actually looked after the year ahead of us two years previously. And so uh, Jimmy sort of knew about me and a couple of other lads on the team. So he was very clever. He got, got in early and got us down to Rovers. So I remember me and my best mate, Jerry Weston, we used to get the bus from town all the way out down to, was it Ring's End? Uh, well, it was down by the dog track. Where's the dog track? Is it Ring's End, is it? Uh, on the south side. So you go south of O'Connell Station, Connolly Station, down to Tara Street, and then all the way down to the dogs. Is it so Shelburne Jerry, Park, is it? She- I think it was Shelburne Park. Was it Shelburne Dogs? Yeah. I can't even remember how we got down. I think we used to get a bus down or we'd get the train to Connolly and then run. We'd jog all the way down the train and, uh, but those are great days, you know. Um, I was a bit surprised because I actually, funny enough, Pats were out to get me. I went down and trained with St. Pats because, funny enough, there was a fella, I used to work as an electrician, and one of the fellas at the wholesalers was very high up in Pats. And I think his name was Des, and he said to me, look, come down and try him with us, will you? Because me, me electrician told him that I was playing for Belvedere. So he said, why don't you come down and try him with us? So I went down and trained with them and they were sort of pushing me. They were actually offering me a few bob and they were actually offering me more than what Rovers were offering. Actually, Rovers didn't even offer me any money at 21s, but Pats were offering me money. <laughs> but I went down to Rovers with Jimmy and I loved it from the first day and all my mates were there and Jimmy was Jimmy was great. So I lo- and I, I'd known Jimmy a few years before, so I signed there instead and I think it, I think it was a good choice. Do you remember your senior debut? It was a Leinster Senior Cup tie with St. Francis in Baldonnell in 2000. You'd only just turned 19. Any memories of that first one? Do you know, I, the, the game I really remember starting, I think I came on as a sub in that game, did I not? Not sure if I you started I, or not. No, because I remember my first start. Baldonnell, I remember coming on as band at, at Baldonnell, uh, and I don't think I played that well. Um, so I'm trying to forget that I'm trying to push that <laughs> out of my memory uh, I was a bit of a deer in headlights in that game but I remember me starting debut and Damien Richardson uh, I used to go down early before all the lads would get there because I'd have to do bits and bobs because I was in the squad but I wasn't really doing that so I'd help the kit man and do the bits and bobs around the dressing room and Damien I got in early and Damien was there and he comes over to me he goes oh how are you Rich he says, well, how, are you, how are you feeling today? I said, oh, yeah, I feel great, you know. He goes, how would you feel if you were if you had to start today? Because we're playing shells away in Shelbourne's ground, you know, in Tolga. I said, oh, I'd love, I'd love a game, you know, I'd love to play. He goes, oh, well, thank God you said that because you're starting. So go on in and get ready. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say. So I went in and, you know, the panic sets in. So I got in, I, just, I, I didn't know what to do. And, you know, all the boys are coming in and, I think a few of them might have known that I was starting. And we went out and we I had a great game. I was up against Richie Baker and I had a very good game and we battered them 3-0. So, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a great start to my career. Yeah, that was a brilliant 3-0 win. Um, we had a few questions sent in. Got a couple from, from your ex-teammates, actually. 
And You're this joking. One, yeah, this one from Terry Palmer is actually... Oh, my God. In, in relation to that game. This, this was an interesting one, actually. He goes, ask him about conversations we had in the car before he made his debut against Shells because you were talking about walking away and you were probably third in line maybe to play left back. But then, as you say, you made your debut against Shells alongside Terry. And uh, he said it couldn't have worked out better for you. 3-0. And you didn't look back from there. I actually don't even remember that. I don't remember saying that to Terry. I never thought I'd... I'd I never I never realised I thought like that. Um Maybe it's probably frustration not getting in. Uh, and, uh, you know, and that point as well, I'd come back from a, I think I was out for seven months with me grind. I'd had osteitis pubis, so I was swelling of the pubic bone. And I was struggling with that. And then I was, I was sort of, it was tough to get back. And Alan Bourne, to be fair to him, was brilliant, the doc. And he, he got me back. But I don't remember saying that to Terry. Like, now, I have to say, if ever there was a partner, and I actually said this, I mentioned Terry either in the last podcast I did with the boys in Scotland, uh, and I might have put it on me, he might even be on my website. Terry might have even made it onto my website. I think he did. <laughs> and without him and Mark Kenny, I don't think I would have fit into the the um, the sort of starting lineup as well because the two of them are brilliant with me. But Terry as a centre-back partner, he was unbelievable. And he was a very, very underrated player. So calm as well. That's exactly what I needed beside me because I was a bit mad. And I needed someone with a lot of composure. And Terry was that. He was the perfect partner for me. He was great. I was just looking back to some former Young Player of the Year award winners. So in 2001 was Pat Deans, who is still involved with the club now, coaching. Uh, so you win it in 2001-2002 Shane Robinson won the Senior Award Of course he heads up the Academy now Do you still have the trophy somewhere And do you remember the, the ceremony from, from winning that award? Yeah I remember I remember getting it And I remember giving me speech To uh, to the guys there And I thanked Damien I think Liam Buckley had just come in And I thanked Damien uh, For putting me into the first team and put me in the starting lineup and shown faith, and he left me in. My first two games, I was good. First two, three games, I was good. Then I had a bit of a dip, and then I started to play really well again. Played in Europe, um, and it was a it was a great season in the first team for me. Um, and you know, it was a night because I remember, I remember we actually had a fair few drinks. And I think I ended up with Pat Scully. You know, and two of us were were having a load of points. So uh, yeah, it was a it was a great night, and it was talking me going away. And I remember Pat Scully saying to me, he pulled me aside and he said, "Look, Rich, don't get involved with the drink. Look after yourself. Stay away from players that drink a lot, whether it's here or whether it's if you go away somewhere, because that'll be the downfall of you." And he was dead right, you know. And Pat had been around the block, so he knew, you know, the way football is and the the pitfalls that are out there. You know, so uh, yeah, that was that was a great night, and I was I was very lucky because it was a great team to come into. There was a, an unbelievable camaraderie in that group. It was a fantastic dressing room, some great characters: Sean Francis, Terry, as I said, Terry, Mark Kenny, as we all know, is 
he's one of the funniest guys ever. Derek Tracy, you know, I was at the Shamra, um, at the Belvedere um, reunion there the other week. Derek was there. I was having great crack with him. And, you know, it was just, in, you really need these people in a club to help young boys through, you know, to have the bit of seriousness, but to then ease off then in training and at the end of games. So they were they were great to help me assimilate into the team. You're actually going to hear from Derek and Shawnee in a little while. I have questions from them as well. Go away. Uh, oh. Yeah. So I was reading a piece you did with Robert Goggins on the Robert's program uh, a good few years ago. And the headline was, we could and should have won the league because it was a good side and we came second in 2002. Two cup semi-final defeats as well, which is very disappointing. So you feel we could have picked up a trophy, especially that season? Yeah, I just thought the players we had, we had some magical players like Brian Bourne on the left and Mark Kenny on the right. That was outrageous, outrageous wingers. And then Sean Francis, and then we got Tony Grant up front, Stephen Grant up front, with Derek and Jason Caldwell in the middle. So economical on the ball. The two of them don't really lose the ball. And then you had a right back. I think we had Greg Costello for a while. And... um, What's his name? Vaughn um, would fill in as well. I think Greg came after him. Um, you know, and then who else did we get? We got Garrett Cronin in centre-back. Uh, we had myself, Terry, uh, and then later on, uh, Pascoli. But we did, when I first joined, there was a, a fantastic team there. And that, that season, we, I think we should have done something. We should have got something out of that. And it was just, I think it's just very small, fine margins. That if you're just not on it that day, like that day that Derry City beat us in the cup final as well, you know, I didn't have the, my best game. You know, I thought I had a poor game, but in the semi final, I was brilliant. And you have to look at all the things that lead up to what were you doing in the week previous? What were you doing the night before? And when you're playing part time football, things are left a bit more up to chance because you have to work and everybody has to do their other day job and they're busy and you're stressed out over certain things. Like I remember one of the European games, I was working. In a, in a factory over the south side and I had to finish off this big job myself pulling cable through on my own a big huge earth cable that was like a, an industrial sized air cable I had to do it all on my own the electrician, electrician left me and I was I was sweating bullets trying to get it into, inside a big load of plastic case and I was like oh, I need to get this done because I need to get out of here I need to go and get me geared and go get to the match so you have these influence as well that it's just very tough for to 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 sort of gather everyone together, have everyone eating the right stuff, sleeping the right way, recovering the right, right way, and preparing for the game, and making sure that you go out and you win the game. Um, but I think for for all we had that year, you know, we did deserve to win something. Did you feel we didn't approach the the cup final defeat to Derry in the right way because? We it was it was held at Talga Park, so Buckley treated it as if it was a normal home game, not like a big occasion. Uh, we famously wore tracksuits instead of suits. Players I've interviewed from that era, they often mention that fact that we should have treated it as an occasion. That's a hard question to ask. I don't know. Like, surely you should just turn up to a game no matter what you're wearing and go out and play. You know, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that affected it. I, I just personally felt that I didn't play that well. Um, 
there was a there was a, a disturbance in the middle of the game as well. I think they scored straight after. I think that sort of threw the game a little bit. It was a bit all over the place. Yeah, there was a fire. Yeah, yeah. So there was there was a load of other distractions as well in the game, and we had done so well in the previous round. It felt like maybe we peaked the previous round, and then we were on a bit of a dip for that one. Mm. So, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know with the team formation as well. He put me left back instead of centre half. I think he probably should have put me centre half. Um, and James should have stayed in left back. You know, I think James Keddy was doing very, very well at left back, and I think centre back suited me better. I think I was, a, I was a better defender than I was on the ball, particularly in, in at that period. So I think the centre half because I played so well against Glenn Crow, centre half. I thought. I think most centre forwards in that league I could nullify. So I think I probably should have done that and left the left back to James, where James could he's much better going forward on the ball than me. So I think that probably when I look back, that for me, that would have been the change I would have made. You mentioned some of our strikers there, uh Kozo Francis, Tony Grant, even a young Noel Hunt then came on the scene just starting out with his career. And coincidentally, he went to Scotland the same year as you uh, with Dunfermline and obviously went on to have a really good career. Um, do you still keep in touch with Hunty? Do I keep in touch with him? I can't get him off my phone. <laughs> you know, but uh, we actually, funny enough, in lockdown, there's a few of us, there's a group of us that we play Call of Duty together now. So that started in lockdown. Uh, but Hunty doesn't live far from me. So I moved to London and he was in Reading and I actually spent a couple of months in Hunty's house when I retired, when I was looking for a job. So I did me my personal training course after staying in Hunty. So I'd organised and booked it while I was in his house, then came to London to do it. So me and Hunty are we were literally chatting yesterday. So we chat nearly every day. So we we do keep in touch quite a lot. Um but yeah, that's one of them friendships that it'll it'll I think it'll be there forever. And I will I hope it will. You might have seen in the news recently, Tata, we're building the, the new fourth stand. So that'll bring her up to, to uh, 10,000. Because when you were playing, Tata was just a bit of grass and concrete. Uh, you did train on it before, right? But you didn't get to, to play in it, unfortunately. So was that uh, unsettling back then when you, you never quite had that home base and Tata was always just a dream? I think that was a big issue where our club, like I remember times we had to, I remember one time we had to go to the a park and a stretch of field that was on a slant and the boys had to park their cars and shine the lights on the grass so we could train like that is you think that is just crazy for a club like Shamrock Rovers to have to do that but that's you know that's what happened and it's just the way it was and for me I was just happy to be there I was just I was buzzing to be training with these lads and to be getting a lift off Terry or Mark, you know, um, and it was great crack though, you know, it was great crack. But on this, on a more serious note, when you go to Europe and you're playing against these fellas that are training on good surfaces and are training for the appropriate amount of time and are doing what they should be doing in their sessions because they have the facilities to, to do that, you're always going to be playing catch up and you're going to fall short. And I feel that that did play a part in the, in the long run to our success or our lack of success. And I think if we had had the training ground, had had a consistent base where we know we turn up at this time, this is how we train. This is what we're doing in the session because it's very tough for a coach to 
imagine a session on the side of a field on a hill do you know what I mean you're never going to get what you want done you know especially if you're thinking of doing something like you know waves of attack or phases of play or whatever you're you're trying to do in your session so it, it does hamper and I'm sure it did hamper the coaches that we had at the time and speaking of coaches how would you compare your two at Robbers uh, Rico and and Buckley what were their managerial styles how would they compare but, um, do you know what? It's it's very tough because the, in League of Ireland, as I said, it's not full time. Or like Rico was unbelievable for me. He was great, you know. And the training sessions were really good. The lads were the lads were great, and Rico would had good banter as well. And you know the way he could talk. He could talk. You know, he could talk the ears off you. But he always had great one liners. <laughs> uh, and even the pre-season training he was very funny he used to say Payne has no memory I'd be thinking what is he talking about what's he even <laughs> mean by that you know so we're doing our runs and we're dying you know your lungs are about to explode and he'd shout Payne has no memory keep running like, oh, for, you know for fuck's sake but it was great um, Bucco to be fair I have to say I did like Bucco now Bucco had a little bit of a falling out with me because I wouldn't sign a contract for a certain amount of money and I wanted more I, I wanted what the better players were on because I thought I was one of the better players and I thought I could get sold. So you're going to get money from me anyway. And he refused, he started laughing when I told him how much I wanted. He started laughing at me. I'll never forget. <laughs> I told him the amount. I said, well, that's what he's on. And he started laughing. He said, you are not getting that. Would you stop? So, um, yeah, I took a lesser deal. And once I took the lesser deal, he started playing me again. But uh, to be fair, Bucco actually... He told me, you can't kick the ball, Richie. So he, do you know what he used to do? He used to stay with me for 15 minutes after training every session. And he'd teach me to kick the ball. So I couldn't drive the ball. You know the way Mark Kenny can ping it 60 yards like an arrow? I couldn't do that. So he said, if you want to get away somewhere, you better learn how to kick the ball like that. And sure enough, he did it for about three months with me. And uh, Then I, I learned how to do it. And I think that's how I got away. You know, I got away because I could like to distribute a bit better in the strikers. So I have a lot to thank Boko for with that. Um, by the time this show airs, it'll be uh, Derby Day, Robert versus Bowes. Uh, I think you alluded to one earlier there, the Cup semi-final win over them. That, that would probably be one of your highlights with us. What would you pick for best and worst Bowes games that you played in? Yeah, that semi-final, I think, is definitely the best Bowers game I played in. Yeah, I thought we we really outplayed them. And yeah, for me, that that for me was probably my best game at Shamrock Rovers. Like, I played a couple of good games, but I think that was that was up there one of my best uh to because the way Glenn Crow was playing that year, I think that was my best performance because he was probably the most feared striker in the league. And I have to say, I thought I dealt with him. I thought I dealt with him very well. He didn't really do much in the game. Um, the worst one was away to Bowes, and I think we lost 2 0, and it was my fault for two of the goals. They scored two headers from corners, and uh, I, I don't know if I've told this in public, but uh, so they put me on column, uh, what was his second name? Big center half, column something, can't remember his name. Um, there was two, they had two center halves, one from Cork, they bought him from Cork. And then they had another fella, I think he was from Dublin. And I was told to mark the one fella. Terry was marking the other one. Corner came in, bang, my man scored. So they swapped me at half time. I'm marking the other fella. Corner comes in, 
bang, your man scored two goals from me. And I was devastated. I went home that night and I cried all the way home in my car, sobbing, crying in my car all the way home. And I was only about 19 or 20. And I thought, oh my God, that's it. I've let everyone down. You know, the club are going to hate me. I'm going to get sacked. And I'll board um yeah, it was a, it was a a steep learning curve that game. I learned that you know you can't give anyone a run on you, especially bigger players. You got to block them. You know you got to block them with everything you have. And I learned that I need to be a bit heavier because I was only about probably only about seventy nine kilos back then. You know, so I was a, a long skinny character, uh, which definitely uh, it should have been dealt with before. Larry Matney said it to me, the coach. Uh, when he came in with Bucco, we said, you need to put on a bit of weight. You know, you're very, very skinny. And he was dead right. I did. You know, I, need, I should have been about five to, to ten kilos heavier. You remember what the atmospheres were like in some of those derbies? Uh, some of them were at Martin Stadium where you, you were just starting out in the reserves. But then there was Talca Park, Richmond, away to Daily Mount. So were those games fiercely contested? Yeah, they were really tough games. They were great. The fans were brilliant. I do remember the 6-4. I was in the dressing room for that one. And, oh, my God, I didn't know what to do. I thought we were going to be killed by the fans. And then, never mind the fans, Rico. Oh, I heard of the Alex Ferguson hairdryer, but this was probably as bad as anything Alex Ferguson had thrown out. Rico went ballistic. I've never seen anything like it before, and I've never seen anything like it since. So, uh yeah, that was my first taste of that that real atmosphere that game. And sure enough, when I started playing, it was just as fiery. And Bowes always had a good team. They had your man Kevin Hunt, who was great on the ball. He was a great player. I used to love, I used to love just watching him, you know, because I thought he was so smooth in midfield. They had some very, very good players. The right winger was quite a good player. I used to have to play against him. He was he was handy. Um uh who else did they got? Did a did a left winger? Uh, Mark Rutherford was on the left, you know, again, very decent. Um, and then obviously Glenn Crow up front and it's Trevor Malloy. And I think they might have taken uh I think they might have taken another lad then uh, that used to that went to Bray eventually. What was his name? Um I can't remember his name. But uh and you know, so they always had good strikers, you know, they and then they they uh, Owen Owen uh, Heary, a fantastic right back. Oh my God, probably one of the best right backs I've seen in that league, if not the best. So they did. They'd always a great squad. It was always a tough game, and the fans were. There was the, there was never a dull moment with the fans when them when them games come up. So you joined Dunfermline in August two thousand three. So can you just talk a bit about making the step up to Dunfermline? How did you find it? I was only selling a fella the other day. That when I got there, there's a coach called Sandy Clark who played for Rangers and Airdrie, a striker. And my first couple of weeks, I was great. And then my form dipped. And he said to me, Look, this full time training is going to take it out of you because you're not used to it. He said, You're going to dip and then, but you'll come back up. You'll come back up after four or five months. And sure enough, he was right. But the difference that full time training makes, I can't understate it. Is, it's, so, it's so important. I was listening to a uh, uh, an interview with Antonio, Miguel Antonio from West Ham, and he alluded to it as well. He was he was saying that, you know, once he started that full-time training, it propelled him to the next level. And it did for me, to be honest, being around players that they're so fit, they're stronger, 
their attitude is, you know, they're 10% more switched on. Everything's done quicker. You haven't got time to to even wait for half a second. And in our training in Dunfermline with, with Jimmy Calderwood, as soon as the ball goes out, there's another ball back in. You know, they had balls all on the side of the pitch. You just didn't have time to recover or get your wits about you. So you had to be sharp. Your, your attention span, you couldn't have a lapse of concentration at all. You know, so that was a big, big uh, change from what I was used to. It was 100 miles an hour. I'll never forget before session. He had this passing drill done out. And it was like, it, it was it was, it was was like a hexagon. But it would go, the ball would go by two cones to the next cone. And then it would go back two cones, then forward one, back again, and then out by another three cones. So it was all over. And it looked indiscriminate. I didn't know where it was going. and. It took me about three months to cop on to what they were actually doing in the session. I was always getting it wrong. I was always passing to the wrong fella. And I'd break down the whole passing thing. They'd be slowed for me. But eventually I picked up the pace and got with it. But yeah, just the the the, the attitude of the players and the fact that there was there was zero players overweight. Like you wouldn't see anyone carrying any fat. And that was another big thing. They were all, not all of them, but a lot of them were going to the gym. They kept themselves in very good shape. And you know in Ireland with the part-time football, there's a few lads. I mean, you might have three or four lads that are carrying a little bit of weight. But over there, there was there was zero. There wasn't anybody overweight at all. The the Derek Tracy question um, was actually about Scotland. He he said he remembers you playing a good few games midfield for Rovers and you did well. Um, so did you play any games midfield in Scotland? Um. Yeah, Jimmy would put me, funny enough, Jimmy Hollywood would put me left wing back. So we play a 3-5-2. So I'd play the left side of a five uh, and I'd have to deal with, particularly when we played Celtic. So if we played Celtic, I'd have to deal with Didier Gatt and Jackie McNamara. So I'd have to deal with them too. And he just literally said to me, that's your job. That whole side is your job. Deal with the two of them and make them chase you. Um, and then... Should we should we go a goal down? We change from three five two, and he go two four four, so two at the back, and the the other eight just attack. So uh, yeah, it was an it was a it was a all for nothing type thing. He was he was a madman sometimes. But yeah, I I played in midfield a couple of times. I don't think I was technically good enough to play in the centre midfield for the for uh, for that team. But uh, yeah, I definitely played in a uh, sort of an attacking role, I'd say, out on the wing. Um, so, yeah, he, he did put me on the side a couple of times. You mentioned Celtic there. Of course, you had that great run to the Scottish Cup final in 2004, uh, ultimately beaten by Celtic at Hamden Park. It was actually Henrik Larsson's last game. And uh, I believe some Rovers fans came over to cheer you on as well. Big deck. Big deck and a lot of other lads. Who else? Uh, Brian as well. Um, just was a lot of them. And you know what the thing... Right, Jimmy Calderwood, you know, God bless him, he's uh, he's not doing too well now. But he sat, they came to our hotel to see me and Noel, and him and Jimmy Nichols sat with the Rovers fans all night, you know, chatting and, and drinking, you know, and that just shows you what type of guy. Now, Jimmy, the two Jimmys were Rangers supporters, and they wanted to manage Rangers, but that didn't matter to them, you know, when it came to us and the Irish lads, and they loved all the Irish boys. And they sat and talked to the fans all night. And then the fans actually came to the game. And then we, I ran over to the side and seen them with the, um, had a chat to them on the side of the pitch. Uh, and all went over as well. But it was great to see them. But what an atmosphere. And I think they helped 
calm me and Noel down a little bit as well. Just that little bit that we know we have Irish people in the stand rooting for us as well. Because it's quite daunting, you know, you go into the stadium and it's all, it just seemed like it was all Celtic at one point because they obviously got a bit more tickets than us. But the firm had quite a lot. It would be quite a big support. But the Celtic fans, you could hear them from the from the changing room, you know, and they're all outside. They were everywhere. So uh, it was great to have that bit of support from Rovers. And I think that helped me play quite well in that game. So then you end up following uh, Jimmy Calderwood to uh, Aberdeen in 2005. And uh, would it be fair to say the highlight of your three seasons there would be the uh, UEFA Cup game away to Atletico Madrid uh, in Madrid. UEFA Cup group stage game where you had uh, Farland and Aguero up front. So you must have had a busy night. Oh, I try and explain to people how good these guys are. And you just you just can't explain it until you're there. They look good on telly. Telly is different. Because everyone thinks when you're when I'm even now when I'm watching a match, I shout at people, I'm like, just get there, block the pass or get tight to them. They are so good, you can't get near them. And they take one touch and they don't just tiddle the pass into each other. They whip the passes into each other. And for Lam, what he does is he'll sort of step back a little bit and take it away. And then he does that and points to the foot that he wants the ball. So the full back then whips it into his foot and he just lays it off into midfield with a one touch and then he spins and he's gone. So you can't even press his touch because he doesn't take a touch. So it's very, very difficult to get tight to these fellas. We were chasing shadows. And then when you do get tight to them, you do get a chance and you touch them, they go down and they dive and they scream. So even when you've read what they're going to do and you try and get in, get in on them and give them a little belt, they're on the floor and they're, they're crying and then you lose a free kick. So it's it, European football is very, very tough. I have to say it's extremely tough. And that's, you know, you look at Liverpool playing Real Madrid and the way Real Madrid came back and, and won a lot of games for the, the Champions League. It's just very hard to get near these fellas. You know, and within a flash, they're up the pitch and it's an attempt or it's a shot or it's a goal. You know, so it's a very, very tough uh, level to play at. But for us, it was it was great. You know, uh, even like we're like I'm playing professional football for a full time team. And even like I'm sure there's people out there who think, oh, you know, you should be happy you're doing that. You must be a good player if you played at that level. These fellas are so far above us. It's embarrassing to say, you know, they're, they're so far above us that we're, you're actually in awe when you're on the pitch because of the things that they're doing. And you can appreciate it because you realise how hard it is to actually do what they're doing. They don't make mistakes. Like, they do not make a mistake. There's never a bad touch. It's it's just hard to comprehend that people can be that good. Um, but look, it was, a, it was a great experience. That game was, it was amazing. And we actually did all right. We could have got a few goals, actually. We could have scored two goals if the ball had a run a little bit different for us. And we actually could have prevented their goals because their first goal was a penal. Aguero was running away from goal and one of our lads slid in. And as he does, Aguero, he leaves his leg in there for you to hit. He just gets a toe on the ball away from you and he leaves his leg there for you to take. And they got a penal. They scored that. And then the second goal was a free kick that I didn't think was a free kick. They, uh, Semel came on took the free kick, hit the key, hit the uh, post, came back, hit the keeper, and then went in. So, you know, two set pieces, we lost it. 
and uh, you know I thought I know can play we did well again that was probably that was probably up there with my best game for Aberdeen as well um, so uh, away in a, in a tough place to go against an unbelievable team uh, I thought I, did, I played left back in that game against Luis Garcia and Maxi Rodriguez them two were sort of swapping so it was a it was a tough one for me and then I had to cover in around the back for Aguero as well so and Diego Forlan so it was it was a mad game you know it was great though you did have European experience of course you're Rovers you played uh, the UEFA Cup against your gardens and uh, four games in the Intertoto Cup including that great win against Audra. Uh, Audra. Was, was that a special night oh my god Stephen Grant Stephen Grant to Audra bloody hell I think Tony Grant as well I think the two of them got a goal did they I think Stephen Grant for sure got a goal yeah the two of them scored yeah Oh, them two were, oh, they were great. They were great. And I'll tell you who else was great in that game. Alan Reynolds. Alan Reynolds was a machine in the middle in that game. And, and <laughs> you know, Alan Reynolds, I don't know if anyone knows this, he used to get sick before every match. So that was his thing. Before every match, he'd get sick. And on that game, he got sick on the pitch. So he held it on the toilet and on the, pit, on the pitch he got sick. So it was hilarious because I used to go to the toilet and he used to be getting sick. So uh, he got sick on the pitch. One of their players was trying to bully me and Alan Reynolds just walked up to him and just gave him an unmerciful dig in the ribs. And your man went down and the ref didn't see it. None of the linesmen seen it. And I think from that moment, the whole Audra team thought, flipping hell, these, these fellas don't care. You know, they're not going to be bullied. And that set the tone for the whole game. And we we got we won possession in the middle and and uh we set the two boys through for the two goals off the back of that. He might have won the ball for the first goal, I can't remember. Um but yeah, th- those games were, were they were fantastic. Uh, and Joe Gardens was a big learning, that was a big learning curve, that was very steep because their pace over five, ten yards was frightening. Did Kim Calstrom in the middle? I actually played in the middle in that game. And I gave the ball away for their goal in Ireland. And I also, I might get the ball away for their goal over in Sweden as well for one of their goals. So it just shows you that at that level, you cannot give the ball away. You cannot misplace passes. You need to be very sort of understanding of what areas of the pitch you take a chance in, you know. And as a defender or midfielder, you got to be wary of the turnover of possession because they transition so quick that as a defender if you're not sort of involved in the play you need to worry about losing the ball even even though you're supporting the play you need to worry because if you lose possession they are up the pitch in a flash and their passing is so precise that they're going to get a chance or they're going to get around the edge of your box so that those games are really tough you know, and um, yeah, I think they they actually helped me to then go into European football. I think the games I played in Europe for Aberdeen were probably up there my best games ever. We played in a way to a way to let the guys you said, and then we played at home to Copenhagen, and I played centre half there against Marcus Albach and Jasper Gronkier. And I have to say that was yeah, that was probably me. That was probably my best game I've ever played in my life against a very, very tough opponent, uh, a very good team, who had battered Man United 3-0 in the Champions League the year before, remember. So they were they were no slouches, that Copenhagen team. 
and we bet them three nil. We bet them three nil. Yeah. So, oh, what a night that was. So you know, these the, you take on the experience as a young guy, and sometimes you have to. As the boys I used to train with that did the MMA in Dublin, they used to say to me to give a bait, and sometimes you have to take a bait. You know, and that that learning curve playing in Europe and losing some of the games that we lost, it taught me a lot about um about taking care of the ball. I don't know if you're watching the Ireland game against Scotland there at the weekend, but uh, you have a feather in your cap. You scored for Ireland against Scotland in a B-team game in 2007. So this game took place in uh, Ergy's ground in Excelsior Stadium. So any memories of the goal? Oh, I'll never forget that goal. I'll never... Do you know what? Uh, this is something that probably a lot of people don't know. So on the boat, uh, on the bus to the game, should I say, um, they play all the rebel songs. They play all the Irish rebel songs on the bus to the game. So you're traveling along, and all the coaches are up singing. And there was one of the coaches he used to do a somersault. That was his party trick. He'd hold on to the both sides of where the bags go, and he'd somersault about eighty, and he somersaulted in the bus. All the boys <laughs> singing. Andy Reid was great. Uh, he was when we were at the twenty ones. He'd be singing. But uh, all the boys then um, we big Jim Jim Goodwin, who was at Aberdeen now. Funny enough. Uh, who else was there? Glenn Whelan, uh, Stephen Hunt, I think, played in that game. John, John Walters. Um, who else have we got? We'd quite a few. We'd quite a few. One of the left backs he was playing for Rovers as well, actually. Stephen Ward. Stephen Ward, isn't it? Uh, Ward, he is first name Stephen. I think his first name is Stephen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'd some very, very good players in that in that squad. But Mark Yates and Mark Yates actually got me goal from me. So Yatesy went up on the left wing and he, he chopped inside and I underlapped him and he took a shot from about 30, 40 yards out. He knuckleballed it and it hit the crossbar and came out to me. I was about the edge of the box and it bounced to me and I left foot kneed across to me right foot for a right foot volley, you know, and it, it went in the only place it could have went and scored in the bottom corner um, and it was... Oh, what a, what a, I didn't even know what to do. I didn't know how to celebrate. Uh, I think I just ran off. I didn't know what to do. And uh, yeah, that was that was one of the best days of my life. Are you, are you saying it's a better goal than Femi's one on Saturday? Oh, that was a great strike, wasn't it? Um, because I'm a left-footed left-back, I'm going to say my one was better because it, <laughs> it was a flick across my left foot onto my weaker foot for a full volley into the far, into the far corner. So I'm going to say my one was better. So while you're on a high there now, Sean Francis is going to bring you right down. Uh, brace oh, yourself, no. brace yourself for this one, Eric. Oh, sh- he would have to bring up something negative, Sean, <laughs> wouldn't he? He Go says, on. "Ask him to talk us through." It's a three-parter. Ask him to talk us through his only career goal at Aberdeen. Does he class himself as an out-and-out defender, given his poor attacking return for Rovers? And he says, "I can't remember." An assist, but I remember chasing his pings into the corner. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Wow, Shani, thank you for that. Flipping out. <laughs> I have one assist in the cup for Derek Tracy. I went. I was playing winger, and I had a. I, I, uh, I whipped an unbelievable ball right onto Derek Tracy's forehead, and he scored against. Uh, who were they? What was that team? Uh, Monaghan I think it was was it away to Monaghan I can't remember what that club was but I think it was Monaghan um, that was me the one assist I can remember 
Um, what was my goal? I, I scored a goal up in Drogheda. I scored a right foot goal up in Drogheda. Um, I don't know if that's on my record, but that was that was a goal I scored. Did yeah, I, score I have that one, one down, yeah. Oh, that's there, is it? Yeah, that's a fact. Right, maybe. I don't know if I scored another one, to be honest. I don't think I did. So, uh, yeah, I would have to class myself as an out-and-out defender. Uh, I don't think they used to let me go up for corner kicks. I can't remember if they used to let me go up. So maybe I had to stay back. For sure in Aberdeen, I was because I was quick, they wouldn't put me up for corners. Though. They used to stick me as the last man, last line of defence. I'm going to say that was because I was the best defender at the club. That's my uh, uh, excuse for that. But I scored a header for Aberdeen against Craig Gordon, uh, a 20-yard header. Um, I scored another bullet header against Dundee and I. <laughs> And what else did I score? I scored a couple in I scored a load of pre-season goals that were volleys. So I scored a fair few volleys in pre-season, but they don't count unfortunately. But yeah, so Shawnee's right. Uh, I I don't I didn't have a great return uh in terms of goals and assists. Um but I'm gonna say I was a better centre half than left back. And and the fact that he kept losing the ball meant I couldn't get up the pitch because I had to bleed and sprint back and defend. So if his hold-up play was a little bit better, I may have got some more assists in. Um, Stick that I'm, only, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. He's, he, look, Shani was great, and he chased any ball into the corner, you know, uh, and he was, he was he was actually very good at holding the ball up. If he could get a good ball into him, he rarely lost it. Uh, and yeah, he was, he was a great a great striker to have. And I suppose just reflecting on your... Your last few years playing, was it a hamstring injury at Aberdeen that really sort of haunted you for the rest of your career? You just couldn't quite uh, recover from that? Yeah, so I, I tore, actually tore my hamstring off and it was misdiagnosed by the club physio and doctor, uh, which is a bone of contention for me now. I'm very bitter about that. Um, I went to a specialist in London years and years later because it just kept going and I couldn't understand why it was why it was going. I thought it was just a, a normal problem. And there's a guy in London who is he looks after all the top players. And I had to get on the wait list for him. And funny enough, there was an Irish fella working on reception and I rang up and he said, Listen, I'm gonna try and skip you up the queue. <laughs> you know, so uh, I told him my whole sob story and he says, I'm gonna try and skip you up the queue. And he got me in after about two months and his name is Kevin Lidlow. And Kevin said to me, look, that muscle actually tore off and you've been running around with, you know, one of your hamstring muscles gone. He said, that should have been surgically stapled back in and put back together. Jeez. So we said, uh, it's never going to heal now. You're too far gone. It's it's too long. So the tendons are fused either end. So you can't, you're never going to fix it. So you're just gonna have to manage. And me back went, me 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 other hamstring went, me groin went, the whole lot went on the back of this injury. And yeah, it was it was quite a tough time because I just couldn't sprint, and that was one of my best attributes. Was I was very quick. So it was get it got to the point where there was young lads running by me and training. I couldn't recover from training. My back was killing me every day after training, and then my other hamstring would go, and then. You know, I I try and rush back, and then the hamstring itself would go again. So it was just, it was literally just a snowball effect of all these injuries coming from the fact that my hamstring wasn't even attached properly, and my pelvis alignment was off. So yeah, it just got to the point where I had to I had to jack it in. So I was at, I went to, uh, I went down to Newcastle. Well, I actually went to um, Manchester 
to a team managed by John Sheridan. So he was looking after Oldham. I went from Oldham back up to uh, Scotland to um, Inverness. And then from Inverness, I went on loan to St. Johnson. Then from there, I went back to Inverness. And then the hamstring was all over the place at this point. And my back was going all over the place. And then I went down. I actually came back to Ireland for a few months. I had no club. And then I went to Gary Dempsey, actually, funny enough, got me in with Steve Staunton in at Darlington. So I got a few months deal there. And it just kept going. And my back was all over the place. So I got to the point, I just said, that's enough is enough. I can't keep playing through this and putting myself through this torture of coming back, doing all right for a couple of weeks. And then the hamstring goes again because it was just getting overloaded. And I had to make the brutal decision to retire. And I was moved to London, started as a PT. And uh, I I was working for a little bit. I was coaching. And then one day the scout asked me to uh, to come down and train with his team. And then I got through a few games there. He, he said, do you want to have a game or two? So I played a few games. And then another team asked me to play for them. And they said, we'll give you a few, Bob. So I actually got back on the FA register, funny enough. And I played a few games there. And I was playing for another year or two, but I had been retired for like two or three years. And I come back in and you never lose the, the love for the game. But uh, yeah, it got to the point I was like, right, look, I, I just got to stop. And then Hunty, funny enough, last year got me involved with an, a club that he was down with. Uh, so I got back on the register again at 40, playing a couple of games. But uh, yeah, I, look, I can I can jog around, but I can't sprint, you know, so I can ping a couple of balls thanks to thanks to uh, Liam Buckley. But uh, yeah, the, the days of me sprinting around chasing young guys, is they're long gone. And you're still working in a gym in London, although off air you said you've moved to a new gym. And a question from Robert Goggins. He says, ask him if he still has his lunch every day in Starbucks in Holborn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> good old Rob. Good old Rob come over and we had a great chat. Uh, it was great to see him. But yeah, I've moved just up the road. I'm in a, I'm in a place now that's a performance-based gym. So it's in Tottenham Court Road and it's five minutes walk away. So we have a lot of equipment for testing footballers. So I'm moving into assessing footballers and their strength deficits. And we have a, oh, we've, we've all sorts of stuff. We have the hamstring uh, strength machine called the Nord Board. We have a groin bar, which tests your groin and your glute strength. We've also got a force deck which is like a it's a it's like a machine that measures how far you can jump, so how high you can jump, the speeds that you jump with, um, and any imbalances. And we also have a, a infrared camera, so we can check any type of movements you make, like a squat or a lunge or a, you know raising your arms, and we can check what's happening around the joints of your body. So I can give players now a full assessment on their ranges of motion, their strength index, how strong they are, how fast they are. And we can basically devise a whole training plan based on that. So it's great. You know, it's a, it's a real game changer uh, for me because I, I went and I did my master's degree in strength and conditioning. So I, I do look after a couple of players individually, but this now allows me to be a lot more sort of nerdy with it so I can get it, get really into the data and the science side of it and make sure that they're, you know, they're not going to go through what I went through. And that's my main aim now is to make sure that players don't get injured in the first place and they stay away from injury. And when you don't get injured, you'll always progress. You know, and I, I feel I owe it to, to young players to, to help them navigate this sort of career because it's a short career. You think you'll never be the one to get injured. You think it'll never be you. Or, you know, the outside influence, alcohol, women or whatever it is, there's a lot of distraction. 
So I, I feel, you know, that's somewhere, that's sort of an area that I, I need to help these young guys with. And do you still keep an eye on robbers in the league from afar? And have you been back home in recent years anytime and popped into Tata? Yeah, I've only got one game in, actually, funny enough. So I think this year, I, you know, this year I'll definitely get back for a game or two. Uh, I was talking to one of the boys at the <coughs> Belleville reunion and he was saying that he might get me in for the Rovers uh, uh, over 35s reunion that they might be playing Man United. So I might get in for that. But I'll definitely get a, a league game in at some point. I just haven't had the time to get back. And, and dedicate a game uh, or some time. I tend to be on, every time I come over, I tend to miss the games. Uh, but for sure, I'll, I'll have a bit more free time now that I've sort of changed the way that I work. So I do keep an eye out on the games and what's going on in the league and stuff. So, you know, please God, I'll, I'll be able to get over and get a, a game or two in now. And I, I need to get out and see the training ground and see what's going on there. There's quite a few lads that I know down there walking. So it'd be great. To, and even... Stephen, uh, the manager, he was at he was at uh, Dunfermline with me as well, you know. So I know him quite well. So uh, I definitely think I I need to get down and, and have a little look around to see if he let me join in in the session. I actually forgot about that. Yeah, you were you were there at the same time as Bradzer. Yeah, yeah, you know, Bradzer was he was going through a, a bit of a time being released from Arsenal and stuff. So it's it's, it's always a tough time for a young guy, you know. But uh, he did very well with us. He was, you know, he has great quality on the ball. You know, but I think the Scottish game sometimes it, it well it's very different to the English game. You're not you don't have the luxury of players being so comfortable on the ball. I don't, I just don't think Dunfermline and the 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 Scottish Prem suited his style of play. You know, but the games he did play and he played very well. And we'll finish up with two quick questions, and they're, they're probably the two maddest ones. Uh, one is from John Paul Roberts. Does that name ring a bell? John Paul Roberts. Um, John Paul Roberts, uh, probably, it's not the fellow I was in college with, is it? Uh, I believe it is, college. because uh, his question is, did you really hit someone with a food tray in Foss on your lunch back in the day? Is this in a fight? I don't know uh, if it was uh, in a fight. That's all it said. Oh, I don't know. I don't remember fighting in Foss, to be honest. In them days, though, anything was possible, because... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't remember how I was behaving back then, but I I, I knew I, I I've always had a bit of a short temper, so I I can't remember if that happened. Possibly, possibly. Um, I don't know. I can either confirm or deny. Confirm. Oh yeah, those are the times I was. Yeah, I I leave it there at that. <laughs> and the last one's from Mark. He says he wants to know why are you so good looking. That, is that is that Mark from? That, do you know who that probably is? That's probably Nailer, is it? No, uh, no, it's not a player. It's, uh, no, no, it's a fan. Okay. Oh, yeah. Jay's. Well, thanks very much, Mark. Um, <laughs> I'm blessed, blessed by my mother and my father. Thank God. So uh, yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, I can confirm here on Zoom. You're looking well for forty. Uh, any any secrets you want to share? Well, I actually, to be honest, I stopped drinking regularly so i probably drink once every two months i stopped eating a lot of sugar so i don't eat bread and jam anymore i used to eat bread and jam all the time um so i don't drink i don't drink and i don't eat too much sugar and i train all the time i just make sure i'm always training i eat loads of fruit and veg i eat a fair bit of meat as well and i just don't i don't drink fizzy drinks i think diet has a lot to do with it i don't smoke 
So I think just the way I live as well, I try and laugh and have a bit of crack as much as possible. And I think just enjoying yourself is, is you know, and always make sure you do something that you love every day. So I'm always doing something with football, whether it's watching it, playing it, um, or talking to someone involved in football, because that's what makes me happy. I think a lot of us in life, we tend to forget what really makes us happy. Like if reading a book makes you happy or cycling or, you know, playing Connect Four, whatever you're doing, whatever makes you happy, make sure you do it at least once a day. I think that's what I try to do anyway. Thanks, Richie. I kept you much longer than I said I would, but uh, it was a brilliant chat. That's all right. Much appreciated. That's all right. No problem at all. No problem at all. Thanks. So that was Richie. Uh, any thoughts on, on, on Richie there, Paddy? Yeah, he seems like he um, he really enjoyed his time at Rovers. Uh, I thought it was, it was it was a good story there of, of uh, Liam Buckley telling him he basically couldn't pass the ball. Yeah, you know, I love that part, really yeah. Good, yeah. Um, it was interesting to see that Liam would actually usually you'd, you'd think he'd send the player over the captain or send someone over a more ex- experienced player but saying that he would uh, he'd stay back with him every every training session for 30 minutes to give him a dig out I suppose shows a, a good sign of management um, but yeah he was I, I don't remember a lot about him I obviously I remember kind of that, that period uh, in around 2002-2003 a small bit I was only 13 14 but I kind of remember him coming onto the scene and once there was talk of him going abroad you kind of knew he was he was always going to go. Um, he, I, I would have always thought of him as a good kind of passer of the ball when, when I when I think about him as a left full, but obviously Lane Buckley didn't. Hmm. Um, the Sean Francis question was hilarious as yeah, well. Yeah, like very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's never he's never given him any any assists, and uh, he just enjoyed chasing the ball down the channel to him. So, um, but yeah, I, I think our fullbacks that like. One of my favourite times of supporting Rovers was under Mick O'Neill when we had two really good full-backs in Enda Stevens and, and uh, Pat Sullivan. Um, wow. But back then, I really uh, I think Richie Warren was a breath of fresh air. And before that, I can't remember if it was before or after that, we had Stephen Goff and Keith Doyle. And I just I just did not enjoy watching them play whatsoever. I thought the children were really poor, but uh, Richie was a decent, yeah. decent full-back, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I love his overall kind of his personality. Like he's very enthusiastic, and I love the way he talks about the team and the players. He he's so quick to credit them. Like if it wasn't for these guys and these players and and Bucko, I wouldn't have got to where I was. Like he kept emphasizing that, didn't he? Yeah, he, he obviously had a huge respect for them, especially the likes of uh, Terry Parmer and even Pat Scully. He said he obviously gave him the the armor on the shoulder and told him to to, to look after himself because he knew he was going to go abroad. Um, but you can tell there what he thought of the rest of the players that like he spoke about Mark Kenny and Sean Francis and how close they were and how much of a tight-knit group they were it was obviously a big a big thing in that team he was obviously in high demand he, he, he'd done a podcast a couple of days previously and I've seen on YouTube he's, he's done a few of them uh, he, he didn't know it was a Robbers podcast until like we actually began I was like do you just agree to podcasts without knowing what they are <laughs> but uh, and then we were just about to start. It's done over Zoom, and I was just about to launch into my intro. And he 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 steps right into the camera and he goes, "Hold on, Are they are your books." He starts staring <laughs> at my bookshelf. It was very funny. Um, he said he was back for a game. I think the game he's talking about was the twenty thirteen Santander Cup final. Remember, we we tonked draw to seven one. He was back for that one. Uh, he said he's hoping to get back for more. Um. He mentioned the 2002 Cup Final. I asked him the question that I tend to ask all these players from that era about the, the suits and the preparation, treating it like a normal game rather than an occasion. 
he, he played it down a bit whereas for example in, in this week's program I interviewed James Keddy who also played in that game and famously missed a chance in the second half and he went straight for that unprompted he said the preparation was extremely poor and we got what we deserved that's how bad it was so two very opposing points of view um, you you before we went on there well, you said you, you were at this game 2002 so your memories of, of that day yeah um, it was nearly more I know we got, we got beaten it was nearly more memories of Derry than, than Rovers uh, we, we, me and my dad probably left about an hour and a half before kick off uh, drove down Dorset Street Dorset Street was just full of just before you kind of head over the bridge uh, it was just full of Derry fans they were everywhere they were all falling around the place on the on the main road and stuff like that there was a great crowd in there um, but yeah the game itself I remember the game getting stopped there was a fire obviously everyone knows about that the fire on the on the, on the mm. uh, pylon how long into the game was the fire? I think it was the first half I think it was probably 20 minutes in um, yeah. because yeah I think even Richie mentioned that he it kind of stopped the flow of the game and it stopped the flow of Rovers um, but yeah it was it, we never really put them under a huge amount of pressure have you seen the goal? The goal is no, I've never seen it's it. very, very similar to, to Twig's first goal in, in Tala. Really? It's kind of a real outstretched, it's with his right foot, Liam Coyles, it's an outstretched kind of uh, volley and it goes into the opposite side of the, the, the goal, similar to Twig's, is from the left of the box going into yeah. the right, his is the opposite way, but it was a really great finish. Um, but yeah, we, we shouldn't have been beaten by Derry that day, we were, in a, we were playing in the home stadium as well, you have to remember that we played in, we played in Tolka every second week, hmm. uh, we should have definitely had the advantage and that was a that was a tough day, yeah, definitely. So what was that like for the fans? Um, because you know when we when we've been to Lansdowne Road in 2010 and, and 2019, you know you're, you're going to Rings End, you have the march and all that. It's it's, it's a stadium we don't play in unless we get to a final. So what's it like as a Rovers fan when you have a cup final coming up on I presume it was Sunday, and it's in your home ground? Like what's the the build up like? Yeah, as I said, I was only I was only thirteen or fourteen at the time, but I think Talca was a good home for Rovers after, like in the in the early two thousands and stuff like that. So they definitely made the likes of the Cat and Cage their home, the Bard inside the Talca their home. So they would have they would have had had a, a decent uh, a decent core group there. I don't think we would have had a huge attendance. Obviously, we obviously didn't have a huge attendance like we do now. We're getting people coming from all over, but. Mm-hmm. I remember even in that main stand, it's the it's the main stand close or the the end of the main stand closest to the closest to the the Lego stand and stuff like that. That was always the singing section, and that was that was absolutely rammed. You couldn't you couldn't walk down the front of the stand. People were hanging off the hanging off the the hordens and stuff like that. And once the once the flames went up, that was a nightmare. Everyone had to obviously jump onto the pitch. But um, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure because it was been a while since we um since we'd obviously been in the final and we were 1991. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Galway, was it? Yeah. Um, so that was at the the old Lansdowne Road, right? Yeah. And the final we won in '87 was Dalyman Park. So I I find it kind of crazy that these finals were held in League of Ireland grounds. I mean, you're getting thirty plus thousand for these games at Lansdowne. I know. Uh, attendances have grown over the years and obviously when they knocked down Lansdowne and uh, obviously like 2007-2008 had to be held at Daily Mount 2009 was held in Tala but 
I find it kind of crazy that FBI Cup finals were held in grounds like Talga Park in the early 90s. Like, was there more interest? Like, were people turned away at the gates? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure that, like, there was... We were down the... I think the Ballybock end was kind of like a neutral stand. Well, it was probably more overs than than neutral, but there was a few gaps in the in that, that end. So I think we might have had the... We obviously had the whole lot of the main stand, and then I think we had more or less the most of the Ballybock end, and they had the Riverside stand. Um, but I'm pretty sure now that you mention it, I think that was the odd bit of talk that it shouldn't have been held in, in Talca Park. I'm not sure why it wasn't held in Lansdowne. Was it was it just a maybe they didn't think mm. they were going to sell enough tickets? Cause I knew Derry like any kind of rural team um, or provincial team, they were going to bring they were going to bring a huge crowd down, which they did. They they twenty they did these twenty thirty buses down that day. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me now, but I think. 2006 was held at Lansdowne and then maybe not again till the new stadium 2010 you also had a memory from 2003 uh, so we played our home into Toto Cup games in 2003 against Audra so we won that 1-0 and Slovan Nibrec uh, we lost 2-0 on both legs uh, so you had a funny memory from, from one of those home games yeah, I think in, in regards to Audra, I think that was probably one of the most memorable Rovers games we've ever been at. Um, it was a huge crowd and a, a brilliant result, uh, amazing atmosphere. But the, the, the second round then, we obviously went through and we played Slovan Liberic from Czech Republic, I think they were. Um, and they were they were they beat us 2-0, they, they really did outclass us, they, you could see they were a much better side than us. Um, but I remember one of the player, one of their players coming over to take, I think it was a throw-in on the sideline, uh, on the main stand. And, in Richmond and my brother went over with I think he had a programme or something like that and he asked him before he took the throw and he was shouting at him will you sign this will you sign your name and this fella obviously thought Jesus maybe we're, maybe they know us over here and stuff like that so he went to sign the programme and he obviously pulled the programme away from him and stuck his fingers up on him and all that sort of stuff. Got, a great, got a great cheer from the home crowd so uh, yeah they, they were they were two two tough toys uh, Audra and Slava and Liberich but it was a great result to get to go through against Audra yeah Glenn Fitzpatrick pa- with the, the winner yeah. In the yeah. home leg, yeah. Next up, we have starting 11 and predictions. So, we were just reading some reaction there from uh, our announcement that Polly. Well, it wasn't really an announcement, we just tweeted a picture of you with your bucket hat and sunglasses. So, uh, mixed responses so far, but Polly, uh, give us your starting 11 for balls on Friday. Yes, well, obviously, Manus in goal would have. Lopez, Grace and Horth at centre-half. I'd have Cavo wing-back with Lyons on the other side. Gary O'Neill uh, just on front of the, the back three with Bork, Bourne and Watts, depending if they're obviously fully fit, in the middle and Rory Gaffney down up top. Yeah, no, I like your team for this. Um, I think it's important to get Bork back into the team. I think he offers a bit more. Except that you're leaving now Danny against, against Bowles. Yeah. Um, I said, I suppose Bur- it's always between Burke and Danny, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. they're always kind of competing for that spot. So, although Bradley oh, seems to drop Watts a lot more than any of them. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, um, I'm gonna say the same team, except I would prefer Danny instead of Berkey. So I'm gonna say Berkey as the impact sub. Uh, to come on, so give us your prediction. Yeah, I think two 0 I think we beat them two 0 at home. 2-0, I'll say 1-0, and pass away, Russian Park Monday, prediction? 2-1, Rovers. 2-1, Rovers. Um, I will say, I'll go the same, 
two two one Roberts. They've beaten us the last two times there, have they? I think. Uh, one one nil this stairs. year. Yeah. Forrester goal. Um, no, no, we're we're unbeaten against them for quite a while. Right. Okay. Until that win. So we we've drawn against them an awful lot. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, so tickets have been sold out for this game four days in advance, which is absolutely brilliant uh, for the derby. Um, I don't really have any stats. just have a couple of quick ones. Uh, our previous meeting with Ball was the one at Daily Mount where we won uh, 3-1. Was it? That was our 400th meeting with Bowes in our entire history. So our first meeting was in 1915 in a Leinster senior cup tie I think and Bowes beat us we were only a junior club at the time and my other stat is a bit a bit random you can take meaning out of it or don't uh, the last Rovers player to score a hat-trick against Bowes was the Englishman Peter Mumby in 1989 at Daily Mount Park I think it might have actually been a home game because we were playing our home games at Daily Mount Park at the time but still no hat-trick since then it's a bit of a weird one Paddy, you were supposed to say, uh, prof with the stats prof there. The stats. <laughs> I was actually afraid you were going to ask me who, the, who got the hat-trick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's going to work out, Paddy. You're, you're missing your yeah, cues sorry, and all. Yeah, I'm, like, no you know? care. I'm not even eating in front of the mic like that <laughs> last week. <laughs> I, I saw someone say that. I actually can't remember what he was eating. He was I definitely eating something. It was me that said it. I texted into the group. I don't think... like. If Gar was he eating, had dry mouth or something like that because he was constantly No, honestly, if Gar was eating something during the recording, I would I would shout at him. Yeah. So I don't think he was. So I, mean, I can't think of what that what that noise was now. So yeah, so I'll set out and Friday's attendance will be uh over seven thousand five hundred, which is the fifth seven thousand plus attendance of the season from eight Friday night games. At Tata Stadium, so we had three Mondays, so it's incredible. And episode seven of Clear the Head will be with Rory Gaffney, titled From Tomb to Tata. Um, I think you're a bit of a latecomer to these um, Clear the Head series, Paddy. Are you enjoying it so far? Yeah, I've only actually I've only started it last week, I think it was last Sunday. Um, I was out for a walk and I, I, I listened to the force with, with Pico. I thought it was brilliant, mm. yeah. Open the Hellfire Club. Um, I think anything that that provides a platform for them to, to kind of talk about their normal life outside of the football even um, is great especially during lockdown when they were when they were mm. always struggling and it, it raises their profile as, as footballers inside the club as well so even young lads that looking up to them can listen to these uh, YouTube videos and, mm. and get to know them a bit more You probably heard our interview with the, the media team there a couple of weeks ago and they were kind of talking about behind the scenes but we also touched on Gart's being a, an ex-pro himself, he just has this knack of putting the players at ease and he asks the right questions as well. So you don't get these normal bland interviews. He's actually getting a lot out of them that you wouldn't normally hear, isn't he? Yeah, he's very natural to it. It's, he's just he's just talked to it like a duck to water. Um, be interesting to see uh, how he feels about it since our seven in, seven interviews in and similar to doing the cold commentating, like how, how more comfortable he's getting with it as it goes by week by week on each episode as well. So. Hmm. No, he's absolutely loving it. It was his idea, actually, that we put the focus on the three lads a couple of weeks ago because he had been on the podcast a couple of times already. But absolutely, we will hear from, from Gertz uh, later on in the season because I'd love to hear his insight uh, in, into this series. Um, my program article this week is about the Young Player of the Year Award. 
Um, obviously, there's a couple of notable winners there, like Gavin Bazunu uh, in the news recently with it with his transfer to Southampton. Um, I know you've already been quizzed, so I'm not trying to put you in the spot again, but could you name some of our recent winners, let's say, like out the last five or six? How many, if you threw out some names, how many could you get right? I'd be interested to know. Uh, my memory is terrible, I'm not going to lie. Let me see, last year, um, Danny Mandrill, was it last year? He, he may have been nominated, but he's probably a bit too old. Was, was he too he? old, or was it the year or was before? Was he 22, maybe? 22? Was it yeah. No, Shooting was that, yeah. Um, yeah. Who was it? Um, well, he won the senior award. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I probably I'd struggle to name them. Yeah. Yeah, he was eyeing them all last year. Right. Yeah. Probably the obvious pick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the previous year was Liam Scales. Makes sense. I'll, I'll give you a hint for twenty nineteen. The previous winner was a player who is now doing well at a rival club. Go on. Brandon Kavanagh yeah Brandon was excellent and he, he even looks like he's excellent for Derry um, a lot of people think he wouldn't he, in fairness he probably wouldn't have got into the starting 11 um, but it's it's, it's not, not good to see him doing well for Derry yeah and like I said Gavin Mazzino 2018 even though he only played six matches um, he was still kind of the, the hobbyist winner there Trevor Clark won back to back 2016-2017 uh, Luke Byrne 2015 uh, there was no winner in 2014 because we had the B team in the first division. So it was actually a premier and first division uh, player. And Connor O'Malley uh, won the B team award. Was that Pat Fenninger 2014? 2014, yeah. He came in midway through there. Nobody deserved to win player of the year or young player of the year. Well, there's a reason. <laughs> we, we said this in the show a couple of weeks ago that uh, Baz won it in 2013, 2014. There's a reason why our goalkeeper won yeah. the award yeah. those seasons. Uh, Carl Shepard 2013 another season where nobody deserved it Yeah, he came back on loan from Reading that year uh, I want to hear your guess on this one right 2012 who do you think our young player of the year award was so this is obviously the year 2012 was it 2011 or 2012 was the, the Europa League 20, so this, uh, is, 20, is this Stephen Kenny 2012 2012 Stephen Kenny yeah. right so who would he assign um Trying to think, obviously Connor Powell was weight was 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 old. He was yeah. old. That went back then, wasn't he? Um, what position was it? It was one of his signings. Yeah. What position was he? Well, that would give it away, wouldn't it? Um, he made a horrendous start. Certainly wasn't Craig Gilbert. <laughs> no. He was well gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of them made it made a bad start. Who was it? Oscar Janssen. He's the keeper. Yeah. Yeah. We just three terrible yeah. keepers then. In fairness, he came good toward the end. Yeah, but we were never going to win anything with him. I think everyone realised that. Mm. We, we, in fairness, we just didn't have time to give. We didn't have the time to to let him get it right. There was yeah. too much pressure there on him, um, and we couldn't have let him. I don't think do what he was doing for for a year or two. Yeah, some of the revisionism on Kenny is actually quite irritating. I find at this stage, like there was a podcast done by Art Forty Two E recently, and the narrative just seems to have shifted to. We sacked him too early, but then you can just respond with, "Well, he signed three young goalkeepers. He signed Oscar Janssen on loan from Spurs, Ray Peterson from an academy in South Africa, Lee Stacy from I don't know where. He was only nineteen or so. Yeah. So immediately you can just say, "Why did he sign three 
basically teenage goalkeepers. Yeah, and, and the League of Ireland, especially back then, seemed to be a, a league that had a lot of kind of uh, solid goalkeepers. So surely we would have been able to pick up someone, even if it was a free agent or something like that, that had a couple of years' experience to, to lay the line for a couple of months until someone got the experience under mm. that belt. Um, but yeah, that wasn't a good time for the club, down three goalkeepers, so... And I'm actually interviewing Luke the Mech tomorrow, Paddy. Um, obviously, there's a Maltese tie-in here. So, any memories of, of Luke from around 2002 when he signed for us? Yeah, I think he was. I think he was. Uh, he was a centre mid, wasn't he? Long-haired centre mid. Um, he was. He was a big unit of a man, from what I can remember. He was real stocky in the centre. Uh, I think, as far as I'm aware, he stayed in the Plaza Hotel. That was that was the talk. <laughs> we we couldn't um, we couldn't pay most of our bills most notably the, the laundry bill to certain companies but as far as I know there was a couple of there was, there was one or two pairs and I'm pretty sure he was one of them that was was staying in the in, in the Plaza Hotel under the, the name of the, the club uh, there was a funny memory I remember we one of our earliest shows in 2017 uh, we were playing a cup game at Shelburne Talca Park and we put it out on Facebook. We said, "Give us any memories you have of Talca Park or, or 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 Shelburne or cup games at Talca Park." And uh, I remember Justin Mason sending this cracker, and this was related to uh, Luke the Mech. So Justin said this. He says they headed to City West afterwards. This was after the 2002 Cup Final defeat that we spoke about earlier. They headed to City West afterwards to drown their sorrows. Paddy Delahunty, trying to chat up Luke Demek's partner, will live with me for a long time. At the end of the night, we were seeing could we get into the residence bar. However, in front of us, they wouldn't let Luke Demek in. One of the men in the queue ahead of us, who looked like William Haig, took exception to this, whipped out his programme, showed him Luke's pen picture and said to the bouncers let him in he's a Maltese international a Maltese international <laughs> while bagging his program in anger showing the bouncer we were in convulsions of laughter and took that as our cue to leave brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> oh that's fantastic uh, Mick McCarthy noted that he actually had a rower's Malta flag uh, for Luke at the 2002 cup final so I wonder if he still has that flag you have to dig it out does Milk does Milk uh, Mick have family in, in Malta I he does he's, he's um, we might be interviewing his brother because his brother has lived there for 40 years okay. and I mentioned a few weeks ago that a couple of Olders lived there Neil and Jay Thomas Neil lived there for quite a long time so he could give us the lowdown on uh, on Malta before we head off so uh, that's it, Paddy. Um, I don't know how long that was. I'm looking at my clock here. It was at least an hour and a half, I'd say. Uh, how was the Tifties experience? Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, any platform that gives me that gives me uh, gives me the platform to have a, a go at Car- or to have a go at Gary. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's good to be here. Good to be on it. Yeah, so that's it. So we're all set for the derby on Friday. Beach balls ready. Did you buy any beach balls? I can't get them anywhere. I'm after Googling everywhere. So obviously the plan was to have a couple of beach or it would have been great to have 50, 60 beach balls going in the in the <laughs> south stand to uh, to highlight the fact that we're going to Europe this year and, and balls aren't. But um, 
maybe leave that to the ultras. Can you imagine this new security crew dealing with that many beach balls? Well, you wouldn't it, it load would them up nightmare. until you get them into the, into the <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, into the, the south stand or whatever. So they wouldn't notice until, the, until they're all up in the air. Yeah, true. But can you imagine like people throwing them on the pitch during the match or something like? But um, not that I'm discouraging you. I would like to see some beach balls on Friday. Um, so that's it. Yeah, thanks, body. For, for, for fitting in for Gary thought you did very well cheers Carl thanks very much and uh, that's it we'll see you in the sales stand keep on hoping just another announcement there Carmel Bork says there's a place is after becoming available at her club aware party on a Tuesday at her house contact her or send us your details we'll forward them on don't forget now in the local Germanality or little next week is America week in lieu of our great sponsors, Pete Sixth. So get down and get your hot dogs and your cotton candy and all your American Yankee needs in the German Aldi and Little. Martin Finnerty has asked me to say that he's lost his key. No, he's lost his car. He's misplaced the car. He has the keys. He can't find the car. It's a black opal record. So if anybody sees it, let us know. We'll pass it on to him. Mary Burke also misplaced her purse at Carmel Burke's house. But sure, they had a row at the end and they're not speaking. So if somebody could get it for her, I should be <laughs> Enjoy the game, folks. And remember our motto. Say nothing till you hear more.